When my father, the Padishah Emperor, heard of Duke Leto's death and the manner of it, he went into such a rage as we had never before seen. He blamed my mother and the compact forced upon him to place a Bene Gesserit on the throne. He blamed the guild and the evil old baron. He blamed everyone in sight, not accepting even me, for he said I was a witch like all the others. And when I sought to comfort him, saying it was done according to an older law of self-preservation to which even the most ancient rulers gave allegiance, he sneered at me and asked if I thought him a weakling. I saw then that he had been aroused to this passion not by concern over the dead duke, but by what the death implied for all royalty. As I look back on it, I think there may have been some prescience in my father too, for it is certain that his line and Moadib's shared common ancestry. In My Father's House by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name's Mike. Each week we dive into a new chapter of Dune and a new bottle of wine with a bit of a buzzed book club. You got like a whole box over there. What's what's going on? Well, I know we've been drinking a lot of wine lately, so I figured it's cheaper to get in bulk. So I just ordered whole varieties of reds for you. You're just going to get the whole season ready to go? Yeah, get the whole season ready to go. I love it. So I opened it up here. Just... Mike, uh, explain yourself. Derek, <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe I clicked the wrong button. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> maybe I clicked the wrong button. It looks like we're having whites this season. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not that dismayed for it. So we are free from the Frau Falucha system now. We are. <laughs> so I we don't need to play by their rules. We're outside of the Imperium. That's the gimmick, right? <laughs> yes. That's, you're, it's exactly what I was thinking, Derek. You've, you've now, you've talked me into some white wines. Yes. And uh, so pull up, what bottle are we going to start with? From the, All pull right, this first me, one out of here. One here. And uh, like I said, last chapter, or was the last chapter? It was, it was a couple chapters ago. Time's a flat circle. Yeah, it's, it's a flat <laughs> yeah. circle. The Between two dudes got me off guard. But uh, we, we had a... Uh, from Jam Sellers, we had the red wine, Jam. Yeah. And that was, I also that realized that Jam actually stands for uh, John and Michelle, which were the <laughs> ones that made it. <laughs> but. I thought it was just on theme for being yeah, red. Yeah, no. But now this one, it's a white wine and it's called Butter. What's the Butter stand for? Well, no, that, that was just a little Butter. This is not the play a, on Not an acronym? I, I, I thought words. it was like all the children. <laughs> Bartholomew. Go on. (laughs) Go for you. What are you going to choose for you? Tracy. (laughs) Edward. Rambo. Oh, I think (laughs) Reginald. I guess. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Little Rambo in the orphan room. So we got butter. What is butter? Butter. So this one is a Chardonnay. Mm. Uh, Let's see here. This is. Oh, I'm kind of. I got this. California wine, just like previous one, 2018. This is a wine that I've had on numerous occasions that I really love, and I actually didn't discover that. Oh, uh, dude, that works out because like the very first one we did, we sat down with my favorite red wine. Yeah. So I like that. Now we're coming out of book two. We're doing your favorite white wine. I really like this one. So uh, I I looked up their winery recently. Mm. That's how I discovered the whole like jam. Oh, (laughs) damn. I felt really dumb after that. (laughs) But this is my whole little like bit of a bit of foresight into the future and different avenues we could take. Derek, we're going down. 
down the White Wine Avenue now. Ooh, this is one that Paul saw, and he was like, "I don't know, I don't, I don't know." know that. So this is gonna be. But I hit click first before Paul could make a decision. This is my first white wine ever. This I, is your first white wine? I've never. I've it was something what? I've like. Uh, I think like stupidly avoided, not for any I real you reason. Said you didn't like white wines. Uh, I just never had any impression for them. There's oh. never like any reason to. Well, cheers, so, Derek. Yeah, sir. This is exciting. Ching, ching, ching. I'm gonna get every. Oh, everyone can. Uh, you're going to have to give the play-by-play on your first. Mm. Mm. Oh, I can say. So mm, I didn't like how that hits your tongue. It's almost like sour. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this one's a Chardonnay. Okay, is that like yeah, common with those? That would well, I it can be. Them. It's not as, uh, this wasn't, isn't particularly dry either, which is what I like about it. That, see, that I like where it all finishes. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like, it wash, it's very it's light. Got a, It's got a great aftertaste to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It sort of like is... Um, some of like a red where it's just like this kind of uh, almost like fruity and floral. Uh, it's like a fog lingering on my tongue. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, and it's there and it's kind of on the sides of my mouth as well. Uh, I guess that's with a little bit of the dryness sort of in the cheeks. But yeah, no, the flavor is really great once it like calms down. It's and it, it's sort of like uh, you're right. It's sort of like it settles. Mm. It's got sort of a bright tart taste to it. And it just sort of like settles down a little tingle on your yeah. tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, sort of, it's like you drink it. It's sort of like a tense and then it relaxes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, don't worry. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Um, it being a little chilled, I yeah. feel it. Like it's not a sip. I almost take like a gulp. Uh, so yeah, that, well, you got to be careful too. You got to be careful too. Um, this is another instance of me forgetting to chill the wine. <laughs> <laughs> so I tossed a couple ice cubes. We're going uh, imperial style on this one. Just one last, one last taste. One last taste of You know, we don't want to go cold turkey. <laughs> But uh, yeah. we, we go into the desert with ice cubes and we're like, don't mind us. Don't judge us. Dr. Kynes is like, what are you doing? <laughs> what is this sorcery? But uh, yeah, so. Uh, it's really, I, I like, yeah. I'm glad, Mike. Yeah. You've, so, you've already won me over on this track. I'm excited yeah. for the adventure we're going to go down. And yeah, well, uh, we're going to knock them all out. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try some new ones with you that I'm unfamiliar with too. So it'll be very exciting. Is there like any kind of like, uh, you know, there's like all those different types of red wines. Is there a kind of white wine that you've never tried? I guess I just don't know enough about what's available out there to answer that fully. Mm-hmm. Like I've tried various uh, like Pinot Grigios and Savon uh, Blancs. Savon Blancs. How about a Riesling? Yeah, I've tried Riesling before. I think I might be pronouncing it wrong, though. So, anyways, we got a little bit of a quote to talk about here. Oh, we got a hefty quote to dig into, Mike. This is a long one for me to read through. This is a page in its own right. It's pretty big. Gotta take a few breaths there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is going to kind of give us, uh, what do you think, sort of the historian's perspective of what we witnessed firsthand, Mm -hmm. uh, not but two chapters ago, I think. Uh, It was the death of Leto, and... We're seeing that the emperor responded in much the same way the baron kind of did. Yeah. Or at least the baron was reluctant to act for the same reason. Mm. And he finally was like, well, if I can't get this information any other way, this is the way we're doing it. Um, But I like that he, uh, he, you know, he blames the guild and the evil old baron. Just to excise that, like, definitely allies of convenience, if anything. Yeah, for sure. So that that tells us a little bit about not only how he feels about the Harkonnens, but probably also uh, Princess Irulan. She's the one writing this. I bet a little bit of her own uh, embellishment is there. Sure, or at least like yeah, she's kind of uh, agreeing with it. Yeah, if she, if I, I I would ooh yeah, I don't know if that's her inflection or his inflection. It's it's hard to tell. I feel hopefully both, but then it could also be a little bit of the family because remember, uh, we always got to take this as like what Irulan's writing is kind of uh, propaganda a little bit. Oh yeah, no, to I some totally. extent. We always so, got to remember that and keep yeah, that in mind. Being post this crisis, like the mm. side that she's on, how would she feel? 
Uh, but what did you think of that um, when she says it was done according to an older law of self-preservation to which even the most ancient rulers gave allegiance? So that was what you're talking about earlier, where the Bene Gesserit made a deal with him and that what they helped him get the power or stay in power. Was, and, well, uh, that, that's like the compact in the in the beginning. It says like uh, he hates the mother for the compact forced upon him. Right. That's that bargain. Right. To play single though. But I mean, she's talking about uh, like she tries to comfort her dad and, you know, about Leto's death, just being like, no, this was done in accordance to an older principle of self-preservation. Right. That all rulers gave allegiance. And I, I'm like, I don't really understand what that what it, what she means by that. Like, what is that law of self-preservation in having Leto destroyed? Or if it was just like as a ruler, making sure no one can challenge you. Since, like, Leto was allegedly going to be a threat well, to the, is, the Emperor. Is that the reason? Because that's what I thought initially. Is it the uh, him being a challenge part of the issue? Or is it something part more deep-seated? No, part of it um, that we will learn later on is that Leto had a military force that could rival the Sato car. Like, Leto had that. He had a little band of people. He didn't have a full thing going yet. But he already had a force that could beat Sato car. I think I just read into this the way wrong way. Yeah, so. yeah. I think <laughs> just, whatever avenue you're going on. But I'm just saying, so I think this is the only thing I can pull out of it is maybe that like uh, recognizing Leto was on the, you know, on the upswing in popularity and this and that. Like and, okay. as a leader, you would make sure no one can ever challenge your position, right. so to speak, or you would make yourself completely safe. So the, in part, they mm-hmm. are, the Benny Gesserit's responsible for this. Uh, I mean, well, he is lashing out at her. You think he's just lashing? I mean, yeah. he is lashing out at her. Not no, entirely. Think. I think I, I take it from where he goes, like he blamed the guild. He blamed the evil baron. He blamed everyone in sight, not accepting for even me. And he said I was a witch like all the other. Or like, he's just like, you're, you did it. You did it. You're, yeah. You know, everyone's ruining my day. He this. blames the guild. And then she tries to like be like, whoa, dad, calm down. Like, take a second. And, you know, this is all done and for, you know, for something far older and more necessary than even we are can recognize and uh it doesn't seem like that is uh was enough for it and then she reflects on like he had been aroused to his passion because of like what it implied for all royalty and like again assessing himself in a lot mm-hmm. of ways too there and then we end with this bit of uh this bit of prescience which i love uh and we talked about leto having a, that couple moments of like prescience yeah. and this is the main area where i've always derived that from okay of it being like otherwise i don't think at this point we could conclude that uh the prescience was something outside of just paul well and being like just oh, no, a quizatara oh, i would have thought that it was uh like a, a genetic thing that like it was either through jessica's lineage or leto's lineage but would that be more from clues in the book or from what I've told you? Um, I think from what you told me, although the clues in the book too, because I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have come to the idea myself, but Jessica had an inkling of a feeling. When oh she had yeah. Paul. Yeah. yeah. Like, there, there's, there's some there's lines like that, there. that yeah. Color it. And I, I was just going to say, this is the line that I draw from when I made that kind of claim to you of like, this is right. what I look back to, to be like, no, that's why I feel like all of them have a little precedence. Mm-hmm. Because we're all part of the Bene Gesserit breeding line, essentially. Right, like, right. if you're a noble, you're in there somewhere. That makes uh, sense, yeah. So I, I love it, uh, her entertaining the idea that, yeah, this is my dad. My dad had that kind of thing. I'm just like, one lingering little bit, like, yeah, but he can't quite put his finger on it, maybe. Mm. Uh-huh, but, yeah, that was, and then another... So wait, uh, what does that mean, then? So hmm. what it, she's implying there might be prescience. Is that saying that uh, death implied for our royalty? Are we going to see a couple other houses fall here? 
don't know, Mike, but uh, you're on the right path. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is alluding to the end of this book. Uh, that's what she's going to be. Because we know she's writing far from the conclusion. Right, right. Uh, so for her to look back, yeah, I think that is what you get to draw from that. Okay. Of like, what's going to happen to the emperor? <laughs> but it doesn't sound like she says, you know, he was just like strung up and executed a few years later. So <laughs> it'll be, it'll, there's still some intrigue for us to walk into. I, I want, yeah, I'm the curious. The last point happen. I would draw from this is just that it's another excerpt from what is sort of like uh, Irulan's biography. Her perspective, kind of a, yeah, yeah. In my, my father's, father's house. house. So I always love that little bit. Uh, is there anything else you want to discuss in there? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, that about does it for me. Uh, love how he says he blamed the guild, even though he paid the guild to do it. Well, and like, what did the guild really do? <laughs> the <laughs> they, guild just brought They drove a taxi. <laughs> they did what you asked them to do, yeah. <laughs> even more so than Why didn't you say no? <laughs> <laughs> because you would have killed us. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's good to be emperor. Well, that's <laughs> what it really he is. Would, he wouldn't have done the guild. No, he would have killed that representative. Yeah, <laughs> like, that I think that, I think that guy. Yeah, <laughs> not the whole organization. All right, but I think with that, Mike, let's let's go into the desert. Uh, let's go join Paul and Jessica. That's right. And jump back in. So this is the first official start of book two. Moadib. Moadib. That's exciting. It's a good name for a book. Such a space name. And uh, it starts in classic Atreides manner, right? Because Paul wakes up. And was then he really, really asleep? No, well, he was, but Jessica isn't. <laughs> Jessica's <laughs> pretending to be asleep. She had been up, but remained steady until she knew Paul was awake. And I get, I feel like, remember where we left them last time? Yeah. Paul was having his complete mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. uh, had, went through, within heartbeats, processing all this information, telling his mom all this stuff. Her just being quiet and kind of watching while he's going through this. And then he just starts crying at the end. Right. That's where we left. We don't really know. I guess they went to bed. And uh, I Definitely. feel like she has just been pins and needles just or like kind of walking on eggshells just watching him being like he needs oh, to rest man. like i don't want to you know trigger something in him to cause this cascade of um whatever mental faculties he's processing so i think she just wanted him to get that as much comfort as he could in that mm -hmm. moment i don't think that he uh or sorry i don't think that she did stay up all night i think she did sleep mm -hmm. but uh because it does says it blah it does say that her breathing had been different for some time. So I think that she did wake up and she was mindful to make sure that he got as much rest that, as possible. Is it that not disturb yeah. him for whatever, he, even if he wasn't awake right. or if he was in some sort of trance or something? Because sure. this is traumatic for everyone right now, but like she can definitely tell Paul's going through something extreme. Yeah, I so. guess I just want a highlight of like whatever time we're skipping and forward was definitely like some sort of very necessary cool down for the both of them. Mm -hmm. Like a little harsh reset uh, before we get ready. And uh, we're getting to, uh, it's just before nightfall. So we had already talked like they weren't willing to wait for Duncan any longer. They were going to give him one more day mm -hmm. and, and just wait and then head out during the night. And that's where we're arriving at now. So Paul, uh, he starts looking at the, we have a proximity detector on the floor. Yeah, there's a couple like dials and tubes and everything. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's just sort of reading the outside for whoever's on the inside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we're. Um, I'm assuming like some sort of sonar is like, the best guess I can go get. out mm -hmm. of looking. You know, if there's people or animals out there to some extent. Right. Um, and I love that he said it was. Uh, it was lit by phosphor tubes. Do you know? Ah. What the, do you know what those are? I mean, just I guess phosphorescent lights. right? Yeah, just a little yep. too, like a little glow stick yeah, kind of yeah. thing. I'm just like this classic '60s tech, Mike. Like uh, not a little LED light. It's a little <laughs> phosphor tube that you have to get. So some like chemical reaction is like drawing that. Um, and Paul, like, looking at this, he uh, sort of offhand tells Jessica, like, a storm has kind of buried their tent. Uh, mm. 
and they're going to have to end up uh, digging their way out of this. Now, this isn't like, this isn't the storm, because they would be gone. Like, that no, snorkel like a, like would a, be ripped apart. Yeah, like a Coriolis storm. <laughs> yeah. No, no. This is just your tried and true sandstorm. Happens yeah. all the time. Okay, okay. Maybe a little LSIL on top of it. A little extra sand, sand rain came down. So And, uh, yeah, their tent is completely buried now. Okay. And I think it says, uh, they already had the sand snork out, right? Yeah, yeah, you can hear it's, uh, it's like running. it's like silent except for like the kind of humming of, of like there's yeah. a little pump in a sand snork that's mm-hmm. uh actually let me tell you about that right now um because okay. I, I read up on that one in the encyclopedia it has a little article for it okay and it was really neat in describing just how it operated mm-hmm. where it's nine sort of like telescoping uh tubes right these little <laughs> okay. cylinders so it just makes like yeah, yeah it's yeah. well so your snork stretches up but it's okay. compact because it fits in that little frem kit right you know we're always ultralight we're mm-hmm. super mm-hmm. good campers. And inside those um, cylinders of each one, of all nine, there are like another cylinders that have uh, oil in them. I think it's like a collection of nine, it's said, within each. Okay. Maybe having that a little off. But then uh, these are all pressurized so that when they are attuned to be um, under more pressure than they would be at the surface with, uh, without sand on top of you, they will stretch out. And the top will always go until it's uh, 40 centimeters above the sand. It said is like it's happy space. And oh. that's where it finds the right, <laughs> atmos- happy space. That's the right atmospheric pressure and it will stop. It won't go any higher than that. So this device is calibrated. That way, like no matter how far down you're buried. And I think it said it can stretch. Um, oh, it was either, I think it was either three meters or nine meters. That's a long distance. That's a, that's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Even three meters yeah. is a pretty good one. Uh, but the fact that it will only ever go 40 centimeters up was a defensive tactic. So one, it's getting you air. Oh, and it said there's a little butterfly valve up top too, so sand doesn't go back down. Ah. Um, so it'll go up, but it also isn't super visible. Right. Like you can't see it off It'd from be long ways. To see it. Yeah, it's only a little, you know, what is that, a couple so feet So it above. automatically detects how much sand is up there and we'll start slowly moving. No, yeah, up. so it's the atmospheric pressure, it That's said. So, uh, cool. so like there's too much pressure from being under it. And then once it gets up there, it's like, yeah, I'm good. And you, boom, you have a real sand snork. And That's then there's really a cool. pump. That is um, sort of perpendicular down on the bottom. That's the biggest component of it. And mm-hmm. that's like what gets air actually circulating through gotcha. it for you. And then you're good to go. And you can stay in that tent for as long as you need. That's really cool. So it's a little sand snark. And uh, so while Paul's standing there, he's also, um, he's wearing that ducal signet ring already. He, yeah, he's wearing it. And this absentmindedly already rubbing it. Yeah. And I love this little description of like uh, how it was when the sand came, where it says tent boughs had creaked once and then they accepted the pressure. Oh, you then can... silence broke only by the dim bellows wheezing of the sand snorkel pumping air from the surface. How scary of a sound would that be too? Like hearing the the tent poles sort of creak as you know you're being buried alive with sand. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, the, yeah, the fact that it's sand, that's so insane. Just how heavy that must be. Oh my gosh. Uh, of all around. And I wonder too then, is like the bottom of the tent slightly like circular to distribute the weight? Or otherwise, wouldn't the poles just like push down? And you would be yeah, in like I guess a little. That's a great question. Interesting how it would bend. It's weird for how light that tin was. Mm. I don't know how you guys do it. So he has like a sudden rage against the very substance of this planet, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing is spice. spice. I, th- I think so. That was a kind of a strange line uh, where it just says, because it says the substance of the planet was like responsible for killing Leto, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that it must be spice and that that's what's driving. Well, that's driving, even the Fremen are driven by Spice. And I think, like, Kynes would admit that versus how when him and Leto were, like, Kynes and Leto were discussing money being the, well, like, source of well, all things. Well, that was things. my question, though. Do you think he's talking about Spice or do you think he's talking about greed? Yeah, I think he's, I think he's talking about Spice. Okay. And again, like, Spice goes to greed of, like, how we, we can all, we can right. draw the line always back to Spice, right, I think, right, right. more than we could to any other word we would choose to be the substance of the planet. 
So I think that it, that is it. Head Devin head on. Hmm. Uh, but just yeah, strange. That's what killed Leto, and he's sort of like that's what's changing him. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a dual hatred right there because he is not liking this change that the spice brought out in him, right? And how kind of wild it is in his mind. Um, that, that's a good one. And uh, Paul goes, they have a, we have a little receiver. I think uh, Jessica asks him to like to look into it, and he's just like, there's no use. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't worry. Uh, which he I already knows. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Little impressing him. <laughs> so like, I already doesn't che- matter. Don't need to check it. I wonder if it's like they would just be static or just like, like already- there, there would be no one on the other end. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. I guess pro- oh, probably no one on the other. Does end. it both possibility? Like it's been a rough yeah. night. Um, so then Paul he takes a drink from a still suit, and in this he's sort of uh, confronting that Arakeen reality. This is uh, his first sip of recycled water. From his, uh, from his own body. Is it his first? Did he not do one last time? I don't think I, don't, I ever read him doing it sure. in, the, in the trip to the spicing mining yep. operation. So. Uh, I just remember when Jessica had it on. Didn't she take a sip once and realize that, like, thought of the water? Oh, maybe. A couple chapters. Yeah, one, I think you're that right. That one is just on my mind. But, uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. Still, but yeah, having him, we get his like impression of it just being like, this is, this is it from here on out. Like every drop of water is so critical to mm. him. And Jessica hearing Paul drink, she is thirsty too, but she sort of rejects it at this point. And it's just like, I, she doesn't want to confront it right now of just what these terrible necessities of Arrakis are going to be. And uh, then it's just, it'd be so much easier to go back to sleep. I'm like, oh, poor Jessica. <laughs> hey, she was sleeping. confirmed um and uh from that we go into that jessica is actually she was dreaming earlier and we uh, oh of course she was sleeping yeah i forgot about the dream the dream yeah (laughs) we're really dumb (laughs) that's that's why we take notes (laughs) we're meant at lights we're not we're not up there yet that's so true and uh i I really love this one and i'm gonna read this kind of to you but there had been a dream in this day's sleep and she shivered at memory of it she had held dreaming hands beneath sand flow where a name had been written, Duke Leto Atreides. The name had blurred with the sand, and she had moved to restore it, but the first letter filled before the last was begun. The sand would not stop. Her dream became wailing, louder and louder. That ridiculous wailing, part of her mind had realized the sound was her own voice as a tiny child, little more than a baby. A woman not quite visible to memory was going away. My unknown mother, Jessica, thought. The Bene Gesserit who bore me and gave me to the sisters, because that's what she was commanded to do. Was she glad to rid herself of a Harkonnen child? That is a ride. Also, well done in doing that in like one take. Thank you. <laughs> that was incredible. Uh, I, but I just like, we start with Leto being gone and her just trying to like preserve, not even him, but like just, his, just name, his name. His name in the sand. How, like, uh, poetic is that? Where his memory is just being erased on this world and in this universe. And she is scrambling to keep... And I think you can kind of see, like, the, her digging out these letter, letters is her protecting Paul and protecting the unborn Aaliyah. And, like, that's all that's left of the Duke at this point. Mm. Uh, and then that we get to dovetail into a way cooler little bit of intrigue here. She has this memory of that woman leaving who we can speculate. This is, is this the only memory she has of... Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think in this book, this is the closest we get to knowing or for Frank telling us about. Yeah, because she was little more than a baby. Mm-hmm. That's. Yeah, and she's remember Gaia Salmaheim sort of dropping her off at the sisters and mm-hmm. peacing out. And this... See you in a few years. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, that last thought was like, was she glad? You know, she's sort of hating that Harkin inside of herself, I think. 
little bit of it because like she definitely we're gonna get to her sort of like paul challenging her and her being like no i'm the i was my duke's woman you know through right. and through um, i don't think paul uh, challenges her here at all um no no i get it's sort of like she hears a lingering resentment in his oh, voice that's right. but she <clears throat> reads it into it um so yeah not not oh it's not an outright confrontation yeah I think, but it, yeah, I think uh, so in her recollecting this dream, we that sort of takes us out of the moment a little bit. I got really swept up in that paragraph while I was reading it. Yeah, and then no, for sure. Paul cuts in with a really kind of simple thing of just saying, like, uh, we have to attack the spice. And it's always just like, oh, where were we in combat? Yeah, no, I, I, I got to roll back. That's a point because, like, it uh, definitely sort of puts you right into Lady Jessica's perspective there. And you are brought back in the same fashion. Like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, how much time was that? And uh, I think Paul took some lessons from uh, Leto in his manic letter. <laughs> it's like, A-story, B-story. <laughs> strong verbal pivot. Uh, <laughs> onto the next subject. Um, but, like, Jessica, she's just skeptical. Like, how do you do that when the whole planet is spice? Like, yeah. what are you talking about, Paul? It's like, and how can you be thinking of that right now? Like, really? <laughs> to be fair, like, I'd be like, you know, he's not thinking of only that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he'd just be like, lady, I'm thinking of everything. <laughs> like, it's all up here. Uh, but Paul's telling her, like, no, the, you know, the key is desert power. Fremen are the key. <laughs> yes. <gasps> yes, like, yes. <laughs> I... Um, so I mean, have I like uh, just like uh, indoctrinated you to hating desert power? No, I love okay. it because of how much you hate it. <laughs> and like, I think everyone on the show has like definitely come to terms with the fact that like you hate that word. Mm -hmm. Whenever we talk about this outside of the podcast, whenever I mention desert power, you're just like, oh, desert power, so dumb. <laughs> I feel like we have to have like a special game for that now. We're like have a little shot glass on the side. Oh, whenever God. desert, a little, <laughs> little like a whiskey, like, yeah, little spice whiskey. <laughs> Whatever, uh... I would, I would be... Wait, isn't there... There's, like, cinnamon whiskey, right? There's spice liquor. Yeah, or fireball. Isn't that cinnamon-flavored? Oh, oh. You mean, like, uh... Like, really like an bad. actual... Like, a, a real-world liquor that yeah, would taste yeah. like spice. No, I'm talking about a real-world. I'm just telling you, in book, there is spice liquor no, as well yeah. as spice beer. Right, right, so, right. like, they do have a hardcore brew, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think fireball... I would... Uh, I don't like... Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, we don't like. I'd rather just get something nice and like a gimmicky. Uh, no, you don't get rewarded for desert power. Okay, Derek. okay. We'll, it's a punishment. If anybody wants to suggest a good liquor, we could put one in for a desert power game. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll have any more than one desert power per episode, though. <laughs> and I'm sure I only want to try this once before I. <laughs> nope, that was a desert power episode, Mike. <laughs> oh, it hits me so hard. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but yeah. I, so I, the Fremen assume, are the key. I assume nobody else is bothered by that word either. I wonder <laughs> if it is just me. Maybe it is. I don't know. I, I bet someone yeah. else hates it. So the Fremen are key, and obviously, um, we know that the Atreides they got the upper hand on info on the Fremen. They're like one of the very few who have ever even tried reaching out to these guys on any kind of equal level. Mm -hmm. um, and we can we learn interpret a lot of that from how Kynes was so impressed by them. So I, I like how. Paul is definitely on the right page. And uh, we got to always keep in mind now the fact that he can see the future. So he kind of was so, uh, did you say oppressed? No, impressed. Oh, impressed. Impressed. I'm just like, wait, what did they do to Kynes? <laughs> you know what Gurney did to Kynes. <laughs> they lectured him for hours. Uh, no, no, just that he was very impressed with them. Okay, okay. And, uh, but now I think we usually got to weigh in the fact that Paul has seen the future. So yeah. He knows so many things for fact, too, about the Fremen. That I mean, he's not telling us right now. He knows about their culture. He knows how to find them. That's bet. what I mean. Yeah. Like, he know he literally knows their fighting style, Mike. He's trained with them, probably. Oh my in, god. In these future things, right. right? So wait, okay. Here's the thing I was curious about. Sure. Cause last week we got this big thing about uh him knowing 
his uh, ancestry all of a sudden mm-hmm. because he saw it in some sort of record in the future. Oh, when he tell, I know yeah. for certain because I read it in a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 which I thought was really cool and interesting, but also kind of ridiculous and what the implications of that are from a purely like uh, information gathering kind of uh, perspective. I totally see that being like, yes, I learned this. I know this. But what about with a fighting style? It's not just knowing something. There's a lot of muscle memory that's involved with that as well. So it doesn't make sense that like, oh, I trained with them in the future in this like future memory and timeline. Now I can suddenly do it. I feel like does experience translate as well? Not just information. Oh, no, no. Did you think I was implying that? that no, was... no, it was not an implication. It was more like my question of it. Does that? Oh, OK. Just for, like, the, how, for the, it how it works yeah. as a mechanic. OK, cool. Because, uh, no, I don't think you would not be able to bring muscle memory out of it. Mm. But I think you would just you'd be able to see it happen. And right. Be like, oh, okay, you'd know this is a thing or a possibility. Um, maybe be able to internalize the mechanics and then practice in your time. I wonder but, how annoying that would be for Paul since he already knows it and has seen it. Like someone giving him that lesson down the road. I don't. Paul, the first lesson he learned was that he could learn. Oh. Remember? Ooh, Bene Gesserit, man. No, I think I need to revisit that line. Actually, I I don't think that would bother him at all. I don't think he's the kind of person that that sets him up. You know, he doesn't. Um, shy away from not knowing something he doesn't get embarrassed by not knowing something well it's not about not knowing it he already knows it no he understands it you're talking about building up but i think he understands the process too you know like that in knowing okay. it oh i know i just need to build the muscle memory and build the proper technique and yada yada mm. like I, I don't think he would have this sort of teenage problem with being like don't tell me what to do like i already know <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what i mean i guess yeah i guess um, Five chapters ago, he probably would have. <laughs> that first fall. But I, I think uh, he would use it intru- uh, in an informative way. Mm-hmm. But like, specifically, I like, I like digging into like how this kind of power works is more what you want to get at. That's, so, yeah, because like, a little like time paradox like, here. Well, of it like, is paradoxical because he knows his name is going to be Muad'Dib. Mm-hmm. But does he have the opportunity to change that now, even though he knows that? Or, and perhaps he does, but he also remember Paul when he's looking into the future, he's able to see variables based on word choice. That's true. Remember in just one dialogue. So I think he could potentially see those other avenues of like, what if I did choose a different name? Do you think at this given point, and maybe all those are just so counter to the narratives he wants to go down? Then my question from there as well is, if he said they'll call me Muadib, is that because he's decided on that avenue and timeline? Like this makes the most sense. I'm going to follow this. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. And then it's not necessarily paradoxical. It's more like he was already made the decision. This is the one that I'm going to go down. Right, right. You're kind of quite like, yeah. is there is there free will in this now? Yeah. And I think that's almost maybe where Frank wants us to be. I think. Oh. Of like, if you have prescience, if you can see the future and all these things, like, do you have free will anymore? Or are you bound by the prescience you see? That's true. And well, this, I mean, this like, isn't a question. I, I don't think we're going to have an answer to this, Mike. We're going to come out of the other end of this book, and I think we could equally debate either side of that. I think that'd be, yeah. Sure, no, oh, we, yeah, we'll yeah. have a discussion I mean, we're going like to it, talk about it. But I'm going to sure. wonder, like, where you end up on. And uh, I can tell you, like, Frank does have some thoughts about prescience and uh, what it ultimately gives you. Like, he does choose a kind of a position. I have a question as well, I mm-hmm. guess, uh, in relation to this. Last week, we, uh, Paul let Lady Jessica know that uh, he knows she's pregnant. And he knows what the name of his sister is going to be already. It's going to be St. Aaliyah of the Knife. Mm -hmm. Now, it's Lady Jessica's decision on what to name her, I assume. Right? So, (laughs) like... He is Duke now? (laughs) (laughs) But, like, 
she's not bound to that. Why would she name her daughter that? Oh, I wonder if so. She because she, Paul she, said it, or well, be- she will end up naming it that. That I can tell you is going to be for sure. We've already seen that quote and such. So you, right. you even so know we, that we know for. Well, I'm saying you know that clue wise, and I'm telling you definitely wise, having gotten to the end. Like yes, that will be her name, and I I don't know. I actually, I don't remember if we're there when she is uh, given a name. Um, like, I think we skip over the birth in like sort of a time jump sort of mm-hmm. thing. Like, and uh, so I don't remember there being sort of like a ceremony for it or anything. But all I could really tell you is like, maybe Jessica already had that name in mind once she knew she was pregnant, thought of like, because she knew it was a girl all oh, right away. True. So maybe she already knew, and maybe she just be even more shocked that Paul told her that and that that's uh, part of a confirmation in it uh, of like her knowing like, oh, yeah, that is what I was going to name her. Interesting. Because, like, it's not like she does react in any other bizarre way to be like, no, her name's Bethany. Well, no, well, maybe not, because at the same time, I told you that in the glossary, mm-hmm. Ilea is spelled differently, but it's, uh, it's, the it's from the Zensuni God, Wanderer's right? religion. Yeah. And it specifically means uh, the female at the left hand of God, God's handmaiden. Mm-hmm. So I think since it's from the Zensuni Wanderer's oh, religion. Oh my god. Okay. We can't go further down this road, unfortunately, well, Mike. Uh there is a th- I think I just thought of the good reason why that is her name. Uh, but you can't tell me because nah. it's just, oh, yeah. damn it! <laughs> yeah, I think you just walk, you just walked me right into spoiler land. No. <laughs> and I'm looking spoiler land. You never oh tell me. Oh my look how beautiful it is. I can see everything from here. <laughs> I'm never tall enough to ride the rides. No. You just stay outside, bud. Let me uh, peek behind <laughs> this curtain. I just hear you going, wee outside. <laughs> With um, all those orphans, I'm outside yeah, with Paul. Like, yeah, sucks. no, left hand to God, really, that hit it for me. Um, we'll have to double back to that one. But if you just want to say, for the sake of like Paul uh, predict affecting the future and how he says, yeah. where um, him looking into these many avenues, he always does say that like it's like all these possibilities of the future. No matter what, when you get to the present, what goes through the present is a singular choice. There's mm-hmm. only this one moment is now, and then it becomes the past. And the future is everything. So I think it is sort of a, um, because there is no like time traveler, you know, like him looking into the future, it still isn't determinant. Right. Because, you know, and then he's still just making choices in the now to get there. Uh, so I feel like in that respect, it's sort of um, maybe a little predetermination. Well, <clears throat> and that maybe Jessica doesn't really have a choice. Maybe you say that, but like he saw like different avenues he could take. Mm-hmm. And so that's not necessarily saying that like either one will lead you to the same place. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They too. could go completely different ways. And that's what I took away from it. And that's mm-hmm. what I thought. That, like there's a fork in the road. Isn't that what he oh, said? Like I, an I, avenue is specifically forks and he can go on one or the other. Um, well, they but they keep see. I think it's even he, he it's, sees I think it's more like a network of a spider webs. Where, like, they interweave and go back and forth so much. Because, like, there is that time. Yeah, he does always describe it clearly like avenues. He mentions roads. You know, he can see that one broad avenue that stretches down so uh, to, like, stagnation. Uh, but then there are, like, winding paths, too, that are smaller. And, like, you know, these more finite uh, decisions that he can make. These more intricate word plays or mm-hmm. something that uh, bring it there. So I think it's a lot of, like, crisscrossing, a lot of, like, undulating dunes. And a lot of things where you're like, I don't know if that road comes back around to that broad avenue. You know, maybe if I go down this crazy path, I still end up in the stagnation route. You know, but I've just gone through this dip to get over there. I think it's more complicated like that. And not necessarily just, like, uh, A or B. You'll never go back to A again if you take B. 
I think you can get back to A in any roundabout way, but it's a lot of unknowns and a lot of variables. True. I don't know. That's, playing yeah. by dirty rules, Derek. <laughs> like, I like time travel, but this one's not playing fair. No, no, it's not. It. I mean, I've told you before, like, even the prescience, we're going to have every character is like an exemption to the rules for it. Because one of them, it stated that it is specifically like from conception. So you should never have a memory of somebody's death. But then in Children of Dune, one of the characters is going to be like, I remember the deaths of thousands of people. And it's like, how? <laughs> that shouldn't be in your memory if it's all like genetically passed on. Right. Because it's in the, you know, built in part of your happened. brain. Yeah. It is a physical thing inside. Like there's nothing mystical about it in how they actually rationalize it out. It is a physical chemical interaction in your mind where all that stuff is just stored via DNA in your brain that you are able to access. It's so trippy. Though Paul's future site is definitely metaphysical to some extent. I I can't put my finger on it. All right, we got more chapter to get through. All right. I'm done talking about this. It's made me angry. Hey, you got you got desert power out of my mind, so I thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, actually, you know what right after the desert power it is, Mike? Uh, do you have your book right open there? Yeah, yeah sure. Because uh, it says, uh, in these words, Jessica hears the sound of unresolved bitterness towards her. And I think it's like when he says the desert power. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's why he's bitter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul, right there with you. Um, but that that was sort of well, when I said he was still challenging her. That's how I got out of that. Like that, there's a rift between them. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Jessica, uh, she's not. I wouldn't say she's trying to resolve it. She's trying to build a bridge as I best she can. But he saw so much more of the future than anything from like the past. So he he still doesn't really know and understand her and sort of where she's coming from and all of this because yeah. she was just she was equally shocked to find out about their ancestry. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think uh, maybe not as angry as Paul is because um, mm-hmm. he wasn't ra- or she wasn't raised to hate Harkonnens. Yeah, yeah, that, she like, just signed up for the battle. Yeah, <laughs> she definitely is all for it though. I, hey, ooh, what's up? I wonder what uh, what Thufir would say now if he found out that she was a Harkonnen all along. <laughs> oh my God, Thufir was right. Thufir was right. <laughs> the shit, oh I gave God. him. Technically, he was right. <laughs> wow, good on Thufir. Hey. Hey. Good job, bud. <laughs> you know, we give it to them when they get it right. <laughs> we don't hold back. Piter gets one right, we give it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have this line uh, for Paul. All his life, he had been trained to hate Harkonnens, she thought. Now he finds he is a Harkonnen because of me. How little he knows me. I was my Duke's only woman. I accepted his life and his values, even to defying my Bene Gesserit orders. I love that is just sort of underlining underlining the fact that um you know she's sort of defending herself internally not vocalizing to this paul because yeah. again i think she is very much like trying to do as much to comfort paul as she can or at least just sort of stay out of his way right uh given and she, and like there was nothing she could do last time to help she could say this now but like what's gonna what good will come of this i think they need to get to a, a moment of security i think before she can before they can really take the time to open up and talk about this mm-hmm. but I think even so, I think she is doing a lot of like gauging and trying to figure out where is Paul right now? Like I, she has no True. understanding of how far ahead he's just leapt forward. Now here's another question, Derek. Yeah. And I hate to ask it already uh, uh-huh. after getting done with this conversation. Couldn't we assume that Paul and has already seen this conversation with his mother? Why um, is he still so bitter? You could make that assumption with like any conversation he has, I guess. Yeah. Uh, to some extent. Sure. Uh, at least seeing the po- all these different possibilities for it. But there is always within him uh, still an awareness of uh, the reality in the present. Right. Uh, it is possible to lose track of that hmm. in in these pressing thoughts. 
Like you can lose sight of where you are uh, and then find it very jarring when you come back and not know, wait, what happened in this timeline? Okay. Like you know, he could, he could have, since he has all these other memories, like you, if you get too many, you can start to question which are the real ones and which do I remember God, from looking awful. Right. Like, so imagine too, as we're going forward in the future and Paul is so like, let's say we go forward an hour from now. All Paul's right. already seen that hour, right? Mm. When you get there and you're in that hour in reality, you have four different memories of what this hour could have been that you are correlating along with the actuality. And just how do you keep all those straight and never mix them up? To be like, what were the decisions I thought I saw and that didn't actually occur in this timeline kind of deal? True. That's something that Paul's always going to be running and have to like keep tabs on. And speaking of tabs, Mike, hmm. Paul reaches up and lights the glow tab in the tent. Oh, love. Uh, I don't know how you imagine this looking. I really I like to just think of this as being sort of like, um, you know, the label on the side of like uh, a towel or something that tells you the clean instructions. Just a little square <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I imagine it that thin, you just touch it, but the whole thing glows. Oh, that's kind of like, cool. That's yeah, a yeah, yeah. cool, cool idea. Little I like that. I like that. Um, I'm sure it's way smaller, though, as they always <laughs> are. But I like it. I like thinking it's just sort of like right up there on the top. What's up? How many times have we mentioned uh, sphincter in this chapter? <laughs> Did <you>? Tent sphincter. <laughs> He's crouched over by the tent sphincter. It's so silly. It's, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> it's funny. It's very childish, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to me. So good. And uh, Paul, he's got his uh, still suit fully equipped at this point. So and it's got a hood? Mm-hmm. It's got a hood, and that's what brings this flap over your forehead. That's going to push uh, down because you're going to, yeah, he's basically, and then a little mask goes over your face. So Snorkel goes uh, up to your nose. Only so your eyes. Only your eyes are visible. Mm-hmm. And with the Fremen, just imagine how terrifying that is. That's got to look terrifying. Yeah. Of just like, what do you even see? Like, just like. The, Especially the glowing blue eyes. Well, I was going to say. The, not glowing. The but. eyes are like blue and blue. The skin is going to be tanned to all boiling, if you know. So it's just like this little like very dark brown blue streak across that staring back at you. And um, yeah, Paul's is going to turn. He tells Jessica, like, prepare yourself for the open desert. <laughs> just like, get ready. Time to go. And he opens it up, and we use a sand compaction tool to dig our way out of the tent. And, uh, Mike, I have no idea what a sand compaction tool is. <laughs> so beyond, like, it's just saying that he uses it, and it uses, like, a static uh, something, static compression to, like, push the sand down. And this was in the Frem kit, right? Uh, it, it at least was in their Frem kit. Um, I don't... This We didn't talk about this device during our... Which one? That would have been in episode uh, 21, right? No, no, this would have been 20. Oh, even... Yeah, that's right. Um, well, hmm, I, I don't think it was. Because, yeah, we went through each item and how it right. worked. And, uh, no, I wish I could tell you how this works. Because it just sort of, uh, tells you it packs down the sand, but it doesn't provide anything. So, yeah, no, it was not in that frim kit. So, are we assuming that it, like, somehow creates a static charge between the little granules of sand that like makes them attract to one another and compact almost into like a really hard dirt. Yeah. Into like at least some sort of a, maybe like, yeah. Are you thinking like maybe it's like a centimeter deep or something and it's just like almost rigid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's almost like burrowing through the sand and creating yeah. a little tunnel for them to get out of. Yeah. But that, I, and like, I, I can't, I don't, I still don't get how you would like, what about what's above? Like, what are you pushing back and wouldn't that fall in? It's so hard to imagine. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't take any means to describe it. Uh, We just had Paul pop up up and uh, Jessica. We actually cut to Jessica just listening on the inside of the tent as like these sounds go. Right. And then Paul's like, come on up. And when she looks out, she just sees. uh, Yeah. 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 Now uh, it says now she saw only a circle of stars when she looks up through it uh, and seeing Paul. 
So they, they just go directly up pretty much. Mm, oh, can I? I actually really loved us. So this is just her looking up out of this thing. Mm. This is uh, really well done. Now she saw only the circle of stars. They were like the luminous tips of weapons aimed down at her. A shower of meteors crossed her patch of night. The meteors seemed to her like a warning, like tiger stripes, like luminous grave slats clambering her blood. And she felt the chill of the price on their heads. So this is just That's the like, first thing she thinks when she sees the night sky. Yeah. And I mean, it keeps going with this. Like, you're, Jessica is definitely a little paranoid for us. So, like, she climbs out. The Paul kind of helps her. He lifts her up uh, her arm at the end. And they're standing on the, just on the sand in the dead of night. And it says, Starlight displaced just enough light to charge each shadow with menace. Love that. Uh, and then she looked at patches of blackness. So she's sort of just like, you know, you get this little bit of a glow and how like everywhere she's just seeing danger or potential, not knowing if they're safe. And uh, Paul then, you know, kind of just says like, look, hey, Duncan told me if he were captured, he could hold out till now. And I bet that is like down to the hour of what Duncan told him of just like, hey, if someone's torturing me, kid, I can take this much pain. Boriah Fry said, just fuck it. And I'll tell he you anything right now. So he's just been having an internal clock going on. That's that. what I, I feel like it was very precise. Yeah. I'm just like, no, I've done it. I, I know Duncan. <laughs> he weighs this much like yeah. he has this much blood he can lose. This would be the time. And uh, Jessica is sort of recognizing at this point that like, she is living in Paul's orbit. Uh, and she follows automatically, just sort mm-hmm. of like in step with him. Like, she doesn't have a choice. This is her only um, or her best bet for safety and survival right now. Right. Because survival, it's all about her children at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah. Kind of. This is all she can do for uh, for Oledo. Yeah. In a lot of ways. This is the, her digging out those letters in the sand. Oh. I think that, that's kind of what they were. That's the only way she can keep his name on. And we have um, her. This is from Jessica. For now is my grief heavier than the sands of the seas, she thought. This world has emptied me of all but the oldest purpose, tomorrow's life. I live now for my young duke and the daughter yet to be. She felt the sand drag her feet as she climbed to Paul's side. I just love the sand kind of holding her and dragging her back. And that line, Mike, sand of seas. Sand of the seas. That's very poetic. And again, relating sand to water. That's very gurney is what I thought. Very gurney. And it is very gurney. Job 6.3. I found it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Did a Bible search. It just was so dead on. It had to be. Had to be. Uh, Grief heavier than the sands of the seas. So for uh, Job 6.3, and I think it's pretty much verbatim. For now, it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words are swallowed up. Ooh, Ooh which, you know what? That second part really alludes to her dream, up. right? Yeah. Ooh, definitely not coincidence. No, I think that was that's good. inlaid into this chapter that's and really carefully good. grafted on. Props. Yeah, props. Props to Frank on that. And uh, so we have uh, both of them there. They're standing up and they're looking out north across. Uh, there's a line of rocks. Did you mention, uh, sorry, hmm. forget no, to no, Did you mention the, uh, their sense of hearing? No, no. What do you, what'd you get? Oh, well, it's, it's, dark all they can see is the stars but uh jessica hones in on her her sense of hearing oh she and can, her sight yeah yeah and her sight go for she it can, she can what she probed the further darkness with her trained senses noises of small animals birds in particular um the fall of dislodged sand and the faint creature sounds within it um and it's sort of like all of her other senses are ramped up like she's see- oh yeah it says she's seeing with smell she's seeing with sounds she, yeah, no, and she even thinks back to uh, black as a blind remembering. You listen for pack sounds, the cries of those who hunted your ancestors in a past so ancient, only your most primitive cells remember. The ears see, the nostrils see. Like, that's, a, yeah. 
that is always hammered in this idea that like cellular memory that is so fundamental to this world of just like we count that mm. as a basic and how much the Bene Gesserit like bank on it uh, to be like these primal fears we have. But keeping yeah, this... like, yeah, keeping uh, her senses aware for those that are hunting them in particular, too. Mm-hmm. Like this. I mean, she's talking about uh, pack sounds and like I imagine that means like wolves or something along those lines. Sure, that would, like, sure. I think just anything. Yeah, I think uh, right now this can definitely be applied to the Harkonnens. Like she knows that they're still being hunted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are the dogs that are chasing them yeah. and, like, looking for any scent. Uh, and, yeah, I like that she relies on all of her senses to keep herself protected and just recognizing, like, when you're going through the wild, like, everything is amped up and it could be anywhere. Uh, and then them looking out over these rocks, uh, what they are able to see. So that I like how uh, that's telling you, like, how dark it is right before mm-hmm. this next scene because the thing they see is, like, laser beams start cutting up the sky and uh, explosions bursting over this rock line, flashes of light. Like that just must be contrasting, uh, sort of like porcelain white on black, Mike, uh, lighting up the sky. <laughs> and uh, these are jet flares, laser guns, pillars so of fire. The, this is the battle going on in Arakeen right now? It's either Arakeen, or no, I'm sorry, it's out in the desert. Because uh, I believe it says we're looking, did we go south to the shield wall? Yeah, we went south of the shield wall. Okay, so it is north. It could be up towards Arakeen or maybe between Arakeen and where they are. In the wall. Because uh, it just mentions Paul saying like... Um, they're out like uh i guess we actually don't know where they are because duncan picked them up and then dropped them off somewhere else true true so. we couldn't have gone too much further but you're right we went we probably we couldn't have gone more than a day's journey i guess Did they is drop the point. them at the base of the shield wall i don't think we we didn't get anything with just enough that they have a steel tent up far that enough. is all we know from the shield wall is that what yui said right far enough to get away from the worm yeah i i think we are far over the shield wall now but okay. nonetheless we're looking north um I think it's safe to assume Arakeen is north of us and that maybe the shield wall is between us and that. But I would say based on what Paul said that these uh, are the Harkonnens cutting through the desert because he says like they're chopping up the desert looking mm-hmm. for us, uh, going everywhere for it. So that's I think that patrol is definitely out there and has come across either like some, you know, Atreides like leftovers or like maybe some Fremen leftovers or something like that. Uh and that's what we're seeing these laser guns go. Maybe uh, maybe Idaho left another trap set up. Maybe. <laughs> you think you just tied a bunch of shit to a donkey and like it's going to make some noise. Just oh, just being able to see only these lights going back and forth and knowing the implications of what that means. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then probably still hearing nothing. I bet no sound makes it over. You know, you can just see these purple and orange lights like mm-hmm. dancing around a little rave going on. But, like an ancient naval battle. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the teaser line I read a couple weeks That's ago. That's right. Yeah, I remember it's shellfire, pillars of fire. Paul whispered, and uh, we get to our, our final paragraphs in this. We must seek cover. Paul said, "We'll head south and keep to the rocks. If they caught us in the open, he turned, adjusting the pack on his shoulders. They're killing anything that moves." He took one step along the ledge, and in that instant, heard the low hiss of gliding aircraft, saw the dark shapes of ornithopters above them. Oh, well, Mike, it might all be over then at this point. Oh, my gosh. No. This is a He's se- already seen the future. He knows it's not ending there. <laughs> Fair enough. And this is the second time we've had a bit end with them with, like, ornithopters swooping in. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, it's got to be even scarier, where it doesn't seem like uh, Paul had any idea right up until this moment. Like, neither of them heard that kind of sound coming until it was above them. So, th- I guess this is, uh, I guess, you're right, this, I kind of took that for granted, and I think that's important, especially with how paranoid I've been on what Paul does and doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you think 
there are some unknown variables that he cannot foresee, and that changes his uh, his foresight a bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, uh, and this doesn't come up, I think, uh, until Dune Messiah, but, like, particularly uh, two prescient people can't see each other, but they can see where each other has been. Are you saying there's something prescient in this? Doctor? Well, the, the guild navigators are prescient. So Paul, like, he can't look directly at them, but he can see where they've been in the thing, vice versa. Um, so that that would just be one of those kind of variables where, like, that's something that he directly can't influence. Wait, if he can't but, see a navigator, doesn't he have this whole thing about him talking to the navigators? Or speaking he, the he knows their secret. Oh. He, know, he now knows, like, what? You remember how as a child he wanted to see one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But now, Paul, like, he's seen people who... I guess the thing is, he can't see what they're doing in the prescience. Like, when the guild navigator goes into that trance and is, like, looking into it, that's the kind of thing he can't see. Oh, he can't see other people's prescience. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And how, like, I'm sorry, I know that's, like, a little weird, because I honestly, I don't know maybe necessarily what that means, too, of, like, what does it mean to look in the prescience? But, like, you do leave an impression when you're, like, looking in those fields. Uh, we're going to have a really weird... You're almost like in a different plane of existence altogether. We, we are. We know that plane, Mike. We're in, we're, this is basically the Amal, Alam Amithal. The Alam Amithal. This, this is a version of that. Well, that was like... Um, oh, what? We had that person right in uh, who was explaining it. Uh, who was it? They came to my aid, I think, too. Uh, Laurel. Laurel? Was she the one yeah. who said it was like the... Yeah, yeah, she, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, Laurel. I'm so sorry. But uh, <laughs> just that that was like the intermediary for God, right? And then God communicated down through that one so it could get, end up to us. Of like, maybe that's kind of why Paul is sort of like semi there. And you do leave like an imprint in it. Because um, we're going to have two characters interact up there in a way. In this book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, and it never happens again in the series. What? It's like, it's a total mind fuck. What? It's really good. And it, it almost like breaks the mechanic in some ways. Because you're just like, wait, how'd you? It's sort of like, uh, <laughs> you know when Gaia Selim put the mind block in? Yeah. And then we never come back to it. But I'm like, that was such an important technique. Uh, like, oh, man, there's so many throwaway things. So many. Or, yeah, just underdeveloped, let's say. That's so dumb. <sighs> I would love cool. to say, though, I love the idea that he was... Buried alive as <laughs> what? <laughs> what in the tent? Is that what you? Yeah, mean? he was buried alive sure. as the young Paul Atreides, and he emerges as Paul Atreides Moadine. No, no, he had the revelation before they were buried. You think so? Yeah, it was the night before. Because we're coming up in that morning, and then Paul saying we're going to wait one more day, and then we've jumped towards this night now. No, no, okay, because it was daytime. They were was... already in the tent, right? They had been for one night. I'm saying Paul had that revelation on the first night. Oh, okay. We've just slept for the day. And now we're coming back, and we've been buried during the day. Ah, <sighs> never mind. Uh, but I, 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 I like. It. There's a little rebirth. I just aspect. like the idea of Muad'Dib emerging from the sand. Yeah, no, no. I think there is like uh, maybe for like the whole process for sure. Right. But yeah, definitely a different Paul is taking his way out of the sand now. Uh, he's Duke. He's got all sorts of things going. <laughs> a for different, him. a different Duke is crawling his way out of the sphincter. <laughs> <laughs> That's life on Arrakis for you. <laughs> life on Arrakis. <laughs> oh, but that brings us to the end of the chapter, Mike. Beyond Paul's prescience, you got anything else you want to ask about? Because I got a, I got a good deep dive for us today. No, you, you know what? I think I might be okay on it. I think I asked all the mind fucking time travel questions I had in mind. I, I think I'm good. Okay. I, think, I don't think I can take any more. Ooh, I don't think I have any more answers to give you either. Uh, but do you know what we're doing for a deep dive today, Mike? I have no idea. We're going to... So we're going to meet Fremen very soon. And yeah. I want to give you a little bit of a primer before that. Uh, we set some things up, sort of like how we did with The Voice. We had that right ready to go right before right. we got there. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you today about the Zensuni Wanderers. Okay. So I I know about the Zensuni 
to uh, just a little bit because you've mentioned them. I think superficially you just know what that name is, right? Yes, superficially, mm-hmm. and that they became the Fremen. Mm-hmm. They had some sort of hodge throughout, like basically the stars, more or less, where they were just. Ooh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna flip that on its head for this oh, deep okay. dive, though. Where yeah. they were basically forced from planet to planet to planet. Yeah, yeah. Until eventually they settled on Arrakis. Before Arrakis was an important place. Yes. Um, sort of. Sort of. I got a pin for that one too. Um, that's about that's about it. I I know some of the planets because I've been coming up with some different games. Yeah. And one of them has involved like a little bit of the Duniverse and sort of different planets. And one of the things was like where the Zunsuni have been. So (laughs) I'm gonna gonna test you on this later. Okay. (laughs) Whatever you tell me, I got a feeling it's gonna come full circle. Uh, I'm glad uh, my part comes before yours. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess I'm not doing it today, am I, Derek? (laughs) Just wait a couple bottles. I'll forget. Oh God. But. Yeah, so they are called the Zinsuni Wanderers, and we're actually going to go through the planets they travel to then. Yeah. That is specifically the journey I want to take you on, is like, okay. we're going to go from Old Terra to Arrakis, Ooh. and everywhere in between, because we got a few worlds we're going to touch on. That's a lot of years. That is. So, in doing this, we're going to be not referring to really any specific people. Uh, we're always going to just be free referring to the Zen Sunni as a cultural group in this kind of discussion. Okay. And uh, they're going to splinter and get separated a few times, so I'll try to keep that as clear as I can. Okay. But the Zen Sunni, who uh, we come to know as the Fremen, uh, they began as a religious splinter sect on Old Terra. So they were um, part of a schism in religion, which happens all the time, right? And originally they were followers of Malmeth. He's sort of recognized as the third Muhammad in Islam. So I I tried to look up into him. I couldn't find anything outside of Dune. And it seemed like it was a play on words. Uh, This is from like the Dune wiki and the Jakarutu website um, claiming that it's either him, um, you know, uh, bastardizing Muhammad a little bit and just like stretching that word play Mm -hmm. or maybe a combination of um, Baphometh was like another one and a couple... um, Eastern, I think, deities or philosophies they were pulling into. Uh, but nonetheless, third Muhammad, though, pretty straightforward. Uh, so that was a third reincarnation of Muhammad for it. Uh, and he had, he had his teachings, I guess, and must have been influencing Islam at that point. And this is like uh, 12, 1200 uh, AD, like our time. Uh, you know, just old Terra. Okay. So we're not even in crazy future times yet. So these Zensuni are following at this point um, that guy, uh, but they end up abandoning his teaching because this other guy comes around, Ali Ben-Ohashi, and he, basically his teachings are what caused the splinter to happen. So I, just, I have so, to introduce the Malmeth. That's going to be a significant religion that sticks around. Okay. Okay. We're going to see it again down the yeah, road. In this, in this diet. Well, no, in this like diatribe, not in Dune. Oh, okay. Makes, okay. So the Malmeth are this original religion. The Zensuni uh, splinter off of it and they follow the teachings of uh, Ali Ben Ohashi uh, but it is rumored that it wasn't Ohashi that wrote this, these doctrines it was actually his second wife and I assume that must be an allusion to like a, an actual religious scholar I bet that occurred somewhere in the histories to be such a specific thing because again like uh, Ali Ben Ohashi not going to be important for the rest of the story we're dropping him off right here uh, so on Old Terra he causes this splinter to happen and though their beliefs uh, to outsiders, they seem really complex and intricate, it boils down to this one fundamental, that the Zen Sunni, they wish to answer the Sunnah. 
Now the Sunnah mic is uh, S-U-N-N-A-H, and that's the 10,000 religious questions posed by Sharia. And with a mystical understanding and not more than uh, usual rational approaches, uh, they believe like they would come to answer all these questions. Okay. And then uh, part of humanity's like uh, tenure in the universe was like, when we've answered the last question, we're done. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's all we're here for. And then we wrap up shop and we move like all of humanity moves on. Okay. Uh, that's our whole point of our existence is just to like to answer those questions, answer these questions and then be like, done. Got it. Raise so our hand. Are these all written down? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. They, they, I don't know if it's more of a philosophical, uh, you know, sort of like uh, esoteric, like, you know, you'll answer these before God when you get there, maybe. Uh, but no, I, I don't have a list of 10,000 questions to pitch at you right now. <laughs> How long would this episode be? And this is what we're doing. <laughs> I'm not editing that. <laughs> this is chapter 23, part seven. <laughs> questions 1,978 through. So... Um, Scholars also believe that, uh, so Chris Randall, this is all written in universe. Mm-hmm. So they like to throw back these illusions to like, well, they believe that Zen Sunni originally was hyphenated and it was Z-E-N-S-U-N-N-I, <laughs> which, yes, it was. Okay. Because <laughs> it was the Zen Buddhism mixing with Sunni Islam. Right. Uh, so then they also have some sort of a butchered dates for things. Of course they do. So, it's encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, but I mean like, uh, so messing with our timeline. Mm. So like, they're like Zen. The oldest writings of uh, for Zen um, practices, uh, we, they only they go back before the Butlerian Jihad, but an unknown number of centuries. So remember, that's like ten thousand years from our time, right? Right, and they're just like centuries. I mean, because so much of Terra is lost. Yeah, exactly, uh, and all mixed up. And there's so many other religions at right. this point. Like it's like honestly, Terra is just like Garden of Eden to yeah. this. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's like a big uh, state park. It's a yeah. uh, it's like a preserve. <laughs> is it still there? It is. No, so. Wait. Brian Herbert's universe, it destroys it. And uh, we end up nuking it during the Butlerian Jihad. <laughs> Why? Yeah. We, was the, it a hotbed for robots? Yeah, basically. Okay. That was where everything started. So, like, their server was there. And we just, like... How long would it take for the sun to make uh, that planet unlivable? Uh, what do you mean? Like, for when the sun grows? Yeah. Uh, I think we got, like, two billion years. Oh, never mind. We got a while. Yeah, <laughs> we got a few. I think we got a while. I think we're good. We had some, we had some poles flip... Uh, Clarity. We, we definitely had some balls flip, but yeah, I mean, we're only twenty thousand years, so I think cosmically, that's not crazy. You're right. That's of a stretch for like a star's I, I think life. I, yeah, no, no. I was just, uh, yeah. Never, hey, no. you're just seeing what's out there. Uh, yeah. Some star somewhere blew up. <laughs> <laughs> sure, someone did. Yeah. Um, oh, well, speaking of stars, I gotta uh, ask you about one coming up here soon, but we'll get there in a All second. All right. Let me uh, let me go with this. Of uh, so, when do you think we have the earliest writings on Sunni Islam? In in the scene, or like what is what is, the, what is this? Dune? What's this historian telling me is the earliest Sunni? Probably seven thousand five hundred. Not bad. A hundred before Guild. A hundred before Guild. Yeah, so I think that only puts you up by like three thousand years. Okay. Assuming you were counting up, yeah. and then we'd have to adjust to go down. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Hey, not too bad. <laughs> it's no, it's no double A batteries, but <laughs> hey, you're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the Sunnis were here the whole time. Um, but I just love that little bit that they uh, throw that in there. It kind of lets you reading it be like, oh, yeah, I am in universe. I got to mm-hmm. remember that as I go through this. And so the Zen Sunni, uh, they get this great belief where uh, they were beholden to no government, Mike. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's familiar. 
Yeah, uh, does not make them flesh that well with the Frau for Lucha system. No, not so like, much. You got no right over us, only God. Yeah. So this ended up not being a problem, though, because they, they were basically nomadic and ended up uh, going to the place where they would just be left alone because, mm-hmm. you know, people were picking on them. Right. And they end up in the Sahara, and there are only about uh, 50,000 of them. So honestly, the government just ignores them. Uh, it's not worth it to go seek them out. They're not causing a problem, and there's nothing we're going to do in the Sahara. Mm-hmm. So they just let them be. And uh, life goes on. So by uh, 2800, and this is an after guild at this point, so we're we're jumping forward uh, pretty significantly. Uh, The guild's in this point of expansion. We've got all these worlds uncovered. Mm -hmm. And uh, it says most of them were uninhabited, which that qualifier means some were not. Right. Leaving two options for me. Either Way too dangerous. What do you mean? Like, a world is way too dangerous to be inhabited? No, no, them discovering them. Oh. They discovered planets that were inhabited. Oh. Yeah. So either people are spawned on multiple worlds, or we have a pre-guild flight. Uh, we could have sent colony ships on a one-way kind that of thing. That sounds more likely. And uh, like just like lost in records. Exactly. Like, uh, lost factions of humanity. After that amount of time, I wonder how... And I wish How totally different, different series would that would be though. That would really that yeah that reminds me of like so many different sci-fi uh, uh, medians I've. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just cool that that is entertained a little plot hook that's left in the world for us. Uh, but now the Imperium was operating under what they call the uh, the right of domain rulings. Okay, so what's that? That is uh, so for the guild to go do its thing. Uh, this way it is impressed upon me is that a house would fund it. So one of the great houses basically like supplements the guild some money mm-hmm. and all the resources is get out there, find a world. If the guild finds a world, that house gets it and they now have ownership of it. Now, that does come with some, uh, there's some strings attached to that because if you get this world, you now have to apply um, imperial revenues on uh, for that world. Like you got mm-hmm. taxes you're going to own up now because you got this new world accounted for. Right. So a lot of great houses are just like, oh, not worth it. I have to like populate this world. I got to work for us on it. I got to build an infrastructure to get these resources out and pay them off this whole time. That's not going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to barely break even right. by trying this and I'm going to be busting my neck to do it. So a lot of houses do this little scheme and they go, you know what? I donate this to the emperor and uh, you give it to the Imperium, the Imperium, if they accept, so they can say no and just be like, that's your problem, dude. If they accept it though. They will assume the burden of populating that world. They will give you a one-time payout. So you get to walk away with a good sum of money. And then the emperor, which is, this is the weird point where it comes back around on the people. Uh, the emperor is also like, I'm not going to populate this world. So that's when he started taking levies to supplement the Sotokar. But then that's all of the people are then paying that. So like that guy still gets hit a little bit. as <laughs> a sense of his people to then get used in the world. But it's significantly less. Okay. And he doesn't have that financial risk on his portfolio, let's say. Because uh, a planet could be bust. You could have nothing useful there. So just you assuming it. you know nothing about this planet, but it's free for the picking. Or not free, but it's it's ripe for the picking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it did make it seem very much like the workforce, though, was the hardest thing to happen. Getting right. a population of people and moving them, that sucked. Because then mm. you got to pay the guild for that, too. Right. Uh, so all this labor goes into it. So we uh, particularly, we, we do this, right? And mm. House Moros... Uh, M-A-R-O-S they pay the guild to go do one of these um, excursions adventures and they come back and they're like oh Moros we found the house for you Poritrin uh, yeah Poritrin P-O-R-I-T-R-I-N okay and they come back and they give them this planet and they're just like Emperor have I got a planet for you <laughs> Poritrin <laughs> you're gonna love it and uh, they, 
<laughs> they pitch it to Elrod the Fifth, and you know what, Mike? He takes it. Hook, line, and sinker. Okay, okay. Uh, it's not a dub though. This is a good planet. This is what? a solid well, what's world. What's the planet known for? What's it got? Um, it is a. It's a pretty calm, nice world, actually. All things considered. But again, Moros just couldn't get the people. So Elrod, though, even he's having trouble finding the people. Elrod the Fifth. So he does something unprecedented, Mike. Remember how I told you Earth was this nature reserve? Right. Earth has been exempt from all levy uh, charges because they are basically revered for their position as like the cradle of humanity. Right. And we just like, we leave it alone. It's a little special thing. Mm-hmm. Elrude, for some reason, is just like, nah, <laughs> too, <laughs> too long of a good thing. I need to get two million bodies on this world. It seems like everyone else is stretched thin. He picks up the phone. We have a, uh, a Cyrodar Baron named, um, uh, ooh, Mikarol. Mikarol? M-I-K-A-R-R-O-L. Okay, Mikarol. Mikarol. Uh, Cyrodar Baron Mikarol. And he tells him, like, hey, I need two million people by Wednesday. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> hangs up. Oh, uh, would it have been Wednesday? And, yeah, it's not come out in rules. Um, <laughs> and the Baron is just like, uh, you know, like, he says yes, but he's just like, what am I going to do? <laughs> if I try to even round up one person, these people are going to rebel. Like, no one's been levied from Earth, ever. That doesn't happen. Right. And we're thousands of years into this empire at this point. So, one of his aides, though, comes up. This is uh, Ari Manud. And he's like, boss, come here. Sit down. And now, Ari, I should tell you, is he's part of a religion, Mike. Oh. You want to know what religion he's part of? Zen Sunni? No. No. (laughs) He's he's a Malmeth. Um, Oh. He's part of the Malmeth Sari, is what they're called now. Uh, And he's pretty high up Is he trying to get them out? Of Terra? Oh, he suggests, uh, I know some Zensunium nomads no one's going to care about. Oh. And the Baron's just like, oh, you're right. And he sort of dwells on this idea, and they're like, let's do it. So they get up their forces, and they go and they round up all of the Zensunium on the world. And, you know, that ends up being 2.5 million Zensunium. That's so many people. It's a lot of people. They've been flourishing, basically, since right. like 50,000 like, went out there. But the Baron's right. Like, these people were outside of society. They never wanted to be part of it. They were kind of a thorn in his side. So no one cares that he goes and rounds these people up. Why were they a thorn in his side if, like, they didn't do anything, like... uh... Because they also weren't part... Like, they weren't a contributing factor. Like, that's 2.5 million people who weren't, like, um, uh, what would you say, part of the system. They were just... It's their existing. Uh, I'll give you, not, like... Maybe thorn in the but side. But it's not like they weren't like strong. doing anything against them. They were just chilling on Terra. Right, right. Presumably, it doesn't sound like they were raiding they were or warring. Yeah, they just wanted to be left alone. But they're just going to be persecuted for this uh, for religious reasons, essentially, because of Ari Manut. Uh, sing them. But uh, let me write. Just color this in, though. Is it was a complete win for the Baron. He uh, not only he gives uh, he clears a group that was unbound to his rule, so they would not answer to them. He can control them. Cool. Not a, it's not a loss then. He gives an extra 0.5 million people as long as as well as doing it very quickly. So the emperor is totally stoked. And then the authorities within the Malmeth Siri religion were just ecstatic. Uh for their terrible reasons. Just mean like you guys are jerks. So you just kicked another religion out just mad because they broke off so many yeah. years ago. Uh that now we've completely removed. So the Zen Sunni are now taken to Poritrin. Great world, though. Great world. And uh, 
Por- oh, oh, that's, right. that's right. That's right. So that's our that's our the, starting the point. We this is the about. for the whole wandering. This is where we're, okay. our adventure begins. Yep, yep. Yep. So they arrive. They they're not like a terrified group of exiles. Like they're pretty hardened people. They've always lived in the worst places on Earth. So when they get here, like they are people that are used to strife and are pretty much bound and very communal. And uh, each tribe was very obedient to its commander. It's naive. So it's going to be a word that's going to come up in this book uh, for us, for the Fremen. That word's going to stick around. Naive will be their commanders. And uh, they get a supply of resources and machinery dropped off with them. Like, they're not just left to their own devices, because they are here to cultivate this planet and work here. You're just serfs, essentially, you know? And we've just moved you and assigned you to this land now. And because they were, like, had such a strong communal basis, they divide up all the machines, all the resources. They uh, decide how the planet's going to be divvied up between the tribes. They already, they've already got it set. Boom, yeah. Wow. The tribes peacefully all go their separate ways. That- Kind of amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's wow. pretty great. And uh, they have a Zensuni chant. Um, so that's the win-win the Baron's talking about. Like, I didn't have to do anything. Well, this is the win for this is the Zensuni making the best of the worst. Yeah, uh, when mean, they get there. Yeah, it's a pretty terrible so thing. They have a, a chat that's sort of, uh, or I'm sorry, a chant they have uh, recorded. They believe is from uh, this time that the encyclopedia gave me. And though our enemies scatter us far, even throughout the universe, they shall never destroy us, for we are miser. For we are miser, the people, and to us have been revealed the fiqua, the ilm, the half-legendary sources of the Zen-Sunni faith, which none of uh, which none other have seen. This remains, we remain. So it's gonna be that's the basis of like their whole faith. Is that like these questions that they're looking to answer for the Sunna? Only they can find these truths and these answers hidden in the universe. So no matter where they go, like they are on this journey for it. That's really cool. Yeah. And now I told you Porton is a great world. It's a gentle world. It's plentiful of water. It has a very long uh, growing season. So it was sort of like they went a little soft once they got here, Mike. There was nothing to challenge them. Uh, They end up, uh, they spent their leisure time really reshaping and adapting their mystical doctrines, like just delving into their religion and contemplating on it and being able to spend more time thinking about it and studying it. And um, much of it, though, was concerning the loss of their point of origin. Because these are people who don't have a home world anymore. At least they're no longer on it. And that sort of gets, um, it affects the religion and gets built into it in a way. And uh, so for the first time, us finding them here, these are a lost people. Now, I told you uh, that was in about 2800 they were brought here. We're going to jump forward about 700 years. Uh, It's going to bring us to 3500 and at this point, uh, I'm going to give you two titles. We have Ulama and Sayadina. Uh, I think, do you remember Sayadina? Oh, I mentioned it once in a glossary game thing uh, when we don't. did Sihaya. Uh, so that's going to be like a, a priestess within the uh, the Fremen okay. or the Zen Sunni at this point. Gotcha. Um, and then the Ulama is a, um, it's someone with a religious doctrine, like a doctor in theology. Oh, so okay. it's like a scholar, more like okay. a religious right, academic. Right, right. Uh, and I don't know, it might be masculine and feminine. I believe only f- women are a Sayadina. Okay. So I don't know if uh, Ulema is like a masculine uh, title only, but it could be either one being, I only know it as a doctor of theology. Okay. Uh, that's what it says. It's actually in our glossary. Uh, that's the one word in the glossary that only shows up in an appendix and is not actually in the text of the book. What? I love it. It's that's so weird. It's worth it. Uh, well, I think it's probably an actual like uh, Islamic term. I can't wait to read those appendices. <laughs> <laughs> Get you there. But so the Ulama and the Sayyidina in this year, 3,500. So mm-hmm. we've been on the planet for 700 years. 
Uh, these two uh, leaders no longer preached that the Zensuni were gathered and taken here. Like I said, we've adapted the religion. Mm-hmm. Now they are taught the Zensuni have fled. Uh, they specifically fled Nilotic al Orubur, Oruba. O U R O U B A. Yeah, like I didn't feel good about that first time, too. Uh, I can translate it, though. Uh, it translates Ooh. roughly to the place of truth and mystery. So they are taught that the Zensuni have fled the place of truth and mystery to escape persecution and death. So they're sort of, uh, they're twisting history a little bit. A little bit, yeah. They're pulling an Irulan. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And that whole place of truth and mystery is sort of the reinforce that they are searching for these truths. And uh, after another 500 years, Mike, this is going to get us to the year 4000. Most of the Zensuni, they actually just believe they're from this world, Poritrin. A lot really? of it's, it's just been forgotten. They only have word oh. of mouth that they're passing things on. We don't have like ancestral memory or anything. Right, right, right. We're just a normal, everyday, book writing religion. Uh, the Sayadina, though, they have maintained uh, the migration story handed down through a handful of them. So it is, it's not completely lost to them, but it's just the popular culture would generally think, like, we're from here. This is it. And everything else is just a story. Do you think any Zen Sunni were used in a breeding line to produce some sort of. Uh... But in Jesuit sister that had an ancestral memory that could see back that far? Um, I don't, I, I'm going to say no. Okay. I don't think they ever tangled with them too deep beyond like um, a sister from the missionary productiva getting dropped there on a one-way journey. Gotcha. But I, I don't think, no, we incorporated I don't think they're well-known enough even by the Bene Gesserit. Hmm. Uh, or perhaps like the Bene Gesserit would have had more reason to be here on Arrakis too. And like, yeah, because it seems like there's a, there's a lot in the Zen Sunni line that would be worthwhile for them, you would think. Uh, the secrets of the spice and all that. Right, right, right. Like that seems so invaluable to them. Um, and uh, we're going to get to like what the Fremen, how they deal with the guild is going to come up in the story. So like for the Bene Gesserit, they would know that. That would be super helpful to them. So I think definitely not. Okay. Otherwise, a lot of these secrets of the universe, like guys held behind them would have the Well, know, this is... This is prior to Arrakis, though, even. Right, but you're saying that if they did, though, to get that memory, and then presumably if a sister had that memory, she would then pass it on to the other sisters, and, like, the Bene Gesserit would have full-on access to it. Right. Regardless of when we picked it up. We would just need to put it into the line. And when was the Bene Gesserit established? Was it, uh, like... Oh, I don't, I don't quite remember. Okay. Uh, that would be off the top of my head. I think it's it's going to be skewed somewhere in this time. Gotcha. Because they have to get every all the ingredients to do their stuff. Um... But let, let me go on. We'll, we'll, we'll cross that wall when, okay, we, get to, sure, when sure. we get to Rossic. Um, so the uh, Nilotic Aluaruba was still believed to be the place uh, in which the 10,000 Suna would be answered. So that's uh, going from like being the translation of Earth and Altera, sort of becoming this mystical place now, right? Okay. Of just like, no, that's where we're going to go. Um, and it was... Um, it was believed that this would uh, not take place until the, t- the Zensuni's time in Poritin was completed. They felt that once their time here was done, they would move on to the Nilotek, uh, oh, Nilotek Aloruba, and that was where their hara- Hajra was going to be. Okay. Their religious journey right. they were going to go on. They're going to go there to complete the questions once they're done with Poritin. So, uh, a small number of, uh, like I said, Sidena, they're passing down the real truth story of this migration, that this isn't our homeworld, this and that. The Ulema have forgotten this, or they were never told it. So whatever that branch is, they don't have this memory right now anymore, or okay. even like don't even talk about it. 
Uh, I'm not sure why it makes that distinction, except maybe to emphasize the Sayadina over them. Because in the book, we're only going to encounter Sayadina okay. uh, when we meet the Fremen and stuff. So that's the only uh, guess I can kind of make as to why it bothers. I guess just sort of like, why paint, it... like a more detailed picture. Maybe, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just being in the encyclopedia. Exactly. Uh, it just felt like a little embellishment. Gotcha. So like I said, Portin, it makes them soft. They uh, Their cities become permanent. Their population starts to stabilize. They spread out. Their nomadic life is basically abandoned, and their cities rival other cities in the Imperium. At this oh point. shit! Yeah, I mean, they're just <laughs> Dang. dude. They're honestly everywhere they go, super industrious people. They are on top of it. Uh, but so, at this point, they're just like everybody else. I guess it's too good for them, and someone's just like, "Hmm, I want that now." That's exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, Called it forty-four ninety-two. Randers arrive, courtesy of the lands or ad. No. Yep. Uh, well, Mike, House Alexin, their native world, uh, Pelusin, it was rendered uninhabitable by a series of semi-legal atomic tests. So. <laughs> So we need a new home. Uh, How many did they do? I don't know, but why'd they do it on their own world? <laughs> Get a moon. <laughs> why would you do that? They didn't have a third moon to blow up. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like once they realized, they were like, oh, oh, we gotta go. <laughs> we tested too many. Pack your bags. Call the guild in a taxi now. <laughs> so they kick all of the um, Zensuni off a of portrait. Oh, so all the raiders come. They round everyone up. Now this is the Zensun. This is going to be the Fremen one day. Yes, I assume they weren't as uh, militaristically inclined. At oh, this point. I mean, I've been trying to hammer home that they went soft, Mike. When uh, when House Mika roll, when they kicked them out, yeah. it took their entire force to ground up all two point five million Zensuni on Earth. Everyone they had, they had to put it into it to get it done. Now, when this force shows up. There are 10 million Zensuni. Do you know how many people it took to get them? How many? 150,000. Are you kidding me? Kid you not. Why? They just, they were pacifists at this point? Okay, like... so there's, I'm glad you asked. You're so like exasperated. Yeah. Why? They do give me a duality of reason where it isn't just the softness why they were so easily able to round them up. Okay. It's also part of their superstition. Wait, what? What are, what are they waiting for? Their time on Poratrin to be up. When a bunch of oh. raiders come and say, your time is up, we're moving that you. Okay. A number of them believed the next place they were going to go was the, the Nilak next... al <gasps> I just like mumbled that one out. It's like, yeah, oh. would you, what was that? Was there a J in there? I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of letters. <laughs> <laughs> in classic spice. Never, never, never. Never, Oh, Nilotic al Oruba. Okay. Uh, the place of truth and mystery. All right, all right. So a lot of them think that's where they're going. And uh, so they speculate that many of them were just sort of like, oh, yeah, of course I'm getting on that ship. Let's go. All right. And just, I meant the Raiders feel like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, let, let's right. go. <laughs> Put this away their guns. This is like, too right. easy. <laughs> now, um, a few of the Sayadina, they were pretty uh, cunning enough to learn where the Highliners were actually going. Okay. And we're just like, oh, shit. Uh, we're not going, you know, because they they know they thought they were yeah. They, well, they know what the Nilotic Aloburin is. Like mm-hmm. they know that's Earth, right? And they're like, we're not going there. And they try to warn a few of them, but it's it's too late. Uh, the Zensuni are basically like cattle at this point, just being marched up. And uh, some of the Sayadina that the um, the raiders do catch, like the ones that they see putting this word out, are tortured and executed. Oh, and with that, the people are pushed on to ships and. Uh, they note that uh, nobody on the ships displayed any personal grief. 
nobody seemed sad, even though we separated some families. Like, you didn't always end up on the same one as yours. We just, like, brought these people on. Uh, but it does leave me this. Theirs was a deeper grief. The chance for salvation for their people had been stolen from them. Each ship's crew gave an account of the same cry, punctuating the captives' incessant wailing. They denied us the hajj. And that is going to be a sort of refrain that we're going to hear later on. They denied us the hajj, I think is what we're going to say in, uh, in Dune. Ooh. But we keep calling it Hajra here with an R. Um, I don't know if there is any significance to that. But, so we take our first batch of population, Mike. We're leaving Portrin. We're going to divide into two cars. We're carpooling. One car <laughs> is going to one planet. One car is going to another planet. We only have so much room, you know? Oh. So, do you know what planet we're going to first? Which one? You know this one. We are going to Seleucus Secundus. <gasps> yeah. Half the people are going to end up here. Oh, wait, do they end up becoming the Zardacar over time? No. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Funny story about that, Mike. Oh. That's actually why they get kicked out. Oh, no. <laughs> they get evicted for not being Zardacar. <laughs> no. So this is a world, this is already harsh. It's been a prison planet uh, since I think about like 1700 or 1800. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's 14. Nonetheless, we're thousands of years past it. And the native population here, these are like the Sadokar growing up here. Right. Six out of 13 uh, don't make it, to, uh, die before reaching 10. So we have about a, a little over 50% death rate uh, that doesn't oh make it. That's na- that's native. These are the ones who know what they're doing. Oh my God. We drop everyone Zen- that's new here though. Yeah. So we dropped the Zensuni down and the first thing the uh, their captors noticed they're like, hey, these people got a strong bond. They're pretty communal. Can't be having that. So no, <laughs> we got a break that we, Mike, we need slaves. We don't need no. people. So we give them the hardest jobs and like this most backbreaking work to just try to do um, and the most grueling labor. But it has like the opposite effect on the Zensuni. <laughs> they just revert back to like their harsh nomadic days. And like, it's basically like Poratrin never happened. They, their survival rate within a generation is comparable to the Saudokar. They are, boom, natives, essentially. Just like, this isn't that bad. We can do this. And, I mean, they're struggling, but they are surviving. And uh, each generation was just more resilient than the last. Uh, Finally, we get to, like, the fifth generation that they've been breeding on this planet. And uh, the commander is just like, okay, we can't keep doing this. This is getting out of hand. Like, this is my Sadokar prison planet. I can't just have all these Zensunis doing their thing. Like, why are you here? (laughs) So he's like, you guys, you can either give up your religion or you can die. They find every Sayadina they can, they kill them. They purge about (sighs) half the population. Uh, doesn't work. <laughs> Does, <laughs> they hide their teachings in slave chants. They initiate another Sayadina for every Sayadina they take oh out. Oh my god. It's just like, nah, you can't keep up with us. So like, boom. And uh, by the seventh and eighth generation, so five. They do this for eighth think about generations? It. Fifth generation. I, I'm sorry, I heard uh, convert or die, and they're just like, yeah, we gave up after like they all said no. So yeah, two more generations, three more generations go by. Oh my God. We're, we're still trying though, Mike. We got another idea now. <laughs> Maybe we need to meet them on their level. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like the Sadokar have like a little religious culty doctrine. Okay. Let's just teach them Sadokar religion. And uh, yeah, yeah, they'll sit down for it, but they just ignore it. Um, and then the ones that don't ignore it, they would go along with it and be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And be like, is it weapons training time now? And then as soon as you got to weapons oh. training, it would just be a suicide assault, and they would just try to take as many down with them and then kill themselves. 
and that, oh. that was the only two options. Oh my god. Yep. So uh, we get to the ninth generation, Mike. Still haven't done it. <laughs> Still very much the Zensuni. Ah! Emperor Ezar the Seventh. He's looking over reports. For, <laughs> he's got he's got nine generations of reports, <laughs> and he's just like, "Holy shit, we're not doing this a tenth time." <laughs> so he's got a great idea, and I I got dude like him for this. He's like, you know what? I'm I want to be known as a benign ruler. Zensuni, I am freeing you because I am so gracious and kind. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for all the failures, he would not be responsible for the 10th generation of this. Oh my God. So packs all of them up and he's like, you guys, you're going to Ishia. Have fun. Ishia. One way trip. It's yours. Uh, Ishia is been an imperial planet that's um, been held in follow for a number of years. Okay. Do you know what follow is? No. I had to look this up. Not a farmer. Farming term. Uh, are you familiar with like crop rotation? Uh, very little. It'd be like uh, you have a number of fields and uh, you kind of work in a circle like moving. You plant these different crops in them and leave one dormant for right, like right, a like, season. Yeah, yeah, like a it lets it refresh. Cycle. And yeah, yeah. You, got, you have a whole little ecosystem in the soil you need to uh, keep your eyes on. And stuff. Right, right, right. So it just said that this planet was left in faro for that time. So for the sounds of it, it was like, Good to go, but maybe just letting plants grow or something. Just dormant, more or less. Yeah, just it was on the books as like a good world we weren't ready to tap into yet. Uh, not really sure entirely why, but I just like that. I learned that term. Did the Zensuni cool. have to pay for each of these trips? No, uh, weirdly enough, the Emperor felt like he would pay that one. <laughs> <laughs> he was really cool with it. Uh, no, each time they are they are the the prize you're getting. Like they're taken. Gotcha. The, the Landsrad paid for the Raiders. The Emperor pays for this one. Uh, but. Only half of those people went to Seleucus Secundus, Mike. Where'd the Where'd other the half? Where'd the other half go? <gasps> they went to uh, Bella Teguiz. Uh, this is the one I wanted to talk to you about. Ooh, why? What do you think the alet of that system is? Uh, be- oh, isn't like, I-, I always want to call it Beetlejuice. Uh, yeah, that's what it's called. It is Beetlejuice? Yes, Beetlejuice. Okay, that's why I always want to call it that. Or Beetle is what I usually refer to it as. Okay. I don't know if that's what it's actually called. I feel like that is more. Beetlejuice? Yeah. yeah. Beetlejuice is too good to be yeah. true. <laughs> And it's the, it's the only star you say three times, and it shows up every Whoa! time. <laughs> but yeah, no, I saw that. That actually, when I read that, because uh, I was doing my own like little game on the side, trying to figure this out, it made me get a better scope of maybe the size of the Imperium itself. Okay, why why is that? Because how far away is Betelgeuse? I don't know. Pretty freaking far. Is I don't it like, have the number I'm, on me right now. Okay, but do you know roughly where it is in, like, in the Milky Way kind of thing? Is it like on the other side, or is it... I don't, no, no, no. no it's no, it's, like, it's okay. not that far. Not like that crazy. But um, no, I think... Based off of, oh man, I, man, sober Mike would be so much better at answering this question. That, that guy's not here, Mike. <laughs> not here. What are you going to do about it? But I remember, like, seen I, him I remember looking at a couple of stars and trying to like figure out like where would we sort of be based mm. off of this. And I, I think it's just one arm of the Milky Way. Oh, okay. Because he doesn't, a lot of stars are named our real ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I think it's just like one arm of the Milky Way, not even the entire arm, just like a portion of it. I like it. And I, like I think it. that's sort of the Imperium. Sure, sure. That could very well be. Uh, I mean, like we don't get that sense or ever defined sense. It's, of it it but never really is. I like. I wonder if um, how much of the stars we would have had mapped out at this point for it's him for question. him to pull from. Yeah, totally. maybe that's why he only had. What an interesting concept, too. I guess. Yeah, what was named by that point? Mm. It's supposed to be. It's probably like, a pretty easy one to th- knock. That out. name is just so obvious. It feels like it's got to be. Mm-hmm. Like named after uh, Betelgeuse as like the star. Oh yeah, yeah, and if it got a proper name, it usually exactly. is because someone found it in particular, and it's not like our numbered ones where right, it was right, like right. we computer found these. <laughs> it's too <laughs> many to do at once. 
All right. Well, yeah. So that's where the other half of this group from uh, Portrait ends up. So one mm. goes to Seleucia, the other comes to Bella Tegese. And uh, much like the previous world, they get left with machines and resources. So, like, the Seleucia ones, they really got screwed. Mm -hmm. And they're brought to this terrible prison world. These guys are brought to basically the same situation they were at last time. Okay. So they've been raided. So many other people killed. They're dropped off here. And they're given machines and stuff again. They're just like, this is too much fool me once, shame on me kind of deal. So they, again, divide the machines up. Divide the resources. But they're very cautious. They don't go at first. And it isn't until they have a sense of comfort that like, all right, they aren't coming back tomorrow that they decide like, we'll go build some settlements. But this time around, like, we're doing this completely different. We're going to build bigger settlements that are closer together, that have, they're walled. They have sentries on them every hour of every day. Oh, Now they're doing this. They have eight centuries of peace. They're doing this the whole way through. Wow. So um, this is going to give you a sense of how the Fremen are going to always be on alert. This, was this the, is where it starts. And this was the other half of the Zensuni. Mm-hmm. So one half went to Seleucus Secundus. Yeah, poor bastards. And the other half went to Bela Tegis. And one had a really good time. The other had not so good of a time. Yeah, like I said, eight centuries of peace. And uh, they basically started to close the wounds and salve the pains of like that have been exerted on their culture. Oh you know, like uh, they refer to like the, uh, I think uh, they call it the lost ones. So the people that just like whatever happened to that other group of ours. Mm-hmm. These ones that ended up with Seleucus. They're not forgotten, oh, but they're man. just sort of like in, in our memories now. It's the only place they exist. Damn. Now, eight centuries of peace, Mike. This is the, the same time frame now. The eight, de- eight or nine generations right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're coming, Ish. we're coming up close to, Guess uh, it. we're still a little bit behind cause it's going to be about the year 6,000. So okay. I think, didn't we touch on seven? No, no. Yeah. We got to 6295. Okay. Yeah. So it's about so the y- same time frame ish. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that. Yeah. Yeah. That eighth century is probably bringing us up forward. Uh, you know who shows up on this world? Who? Sadokar. Wait, why? Ah, <sighs> well, I'm like, that's actually humorously explained here. So, yeah, the Zensuni, they don't go without a fight this time. Okay. The Sadokar do show up, and they're here to round them all up to bring them to a new world. Um, Actually, two worlds that need to be populated. We have two young colonies that, again, they just need people. They just need bodies. However, there was no reason to raid Belatigis to make this happen. It is chosen arbitrarily, and it was just that they had people, and the Sadokar were sent just to keep the Sadokar sharp. You, oh. you can't keep them. They have to keep fighting and keep moving. Otherwise, they get bottled up and they'll start revolting. And he can't just, the emperor can't keep inflicting them on houses. He has to send them to unpopulated worlds or for raids like this to just go get oh people. Oh my God. So it is like almost just unfortunate blind luck that the Sadokar end up on the world that they run to Jeez. and scoop them all up. And they fight. Uh, a lot of them are slaughtered and we pack up the rest. And we're going to bring them now to these two young colonies, Rasek and Harmanthep. Now, Rasek, do you remember that one? Mm. I briefly, no, I don't. briefly kind of alluded to it. Um, this overlaps with uh, kind of the, or this is where we're going to get the Reverend Mother kind of powers. Oh, is this where the, the Bene Gesserit like, sorcerers were? Yeah, before they were like the sorceress. Oh, okay. She ruled this world, Rasek. Ah. Uh, the wild sorceresses of Yeah, Rasek. this one was wild sorceress. So the Belatikis, um branch of the Zen Sunni, uh, they end up here. And for them, this is the hardest world yet. So they had two soft worlds. They're coming here. And this is basically the opposite of Arrakis. This is a cold and blustery world. 
No, I love that word, blustery. Just to go for all the wind that's going ripping through here. Uh, it's very, yeah, very I'm sure it sounds great to you, Derek. Not to the sensitivity. <laughs> yeah, to the ones freezing. And so now we have a short growing season with few plants. And the ones that do grow, they grow like um, really aggressively and they're mostly poisonous. Because again, like they have a very short window to do what they need to. Right. They got to keep all the predators away oh. from them. Probably a lot of thorns and just terrible mm-hmm. things. Um, so the current population that was on this planet, they had no time for newcomers. So right. There are some people here. Like I said, young colonies. Right. So it is starting. And they're just like, look, we, we can't deal with you guys. And the Zen Sooner are like, that's great, man. We would like nothing better than not <laughs> that talk to great. anyone ever again. <laughs> so they find a place that they can support them and they just draw a line in the sand and go away. <laughs> in the ice. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, no. Uh, unfortunately, the winter here was nearly unbearable. Oh, uh, they weren't ready for it. Uh, this to me was very reminiscent of like the Jamestown settlers, mm-hmm. like just getting there, trying as best you can, like summer's going okay. And then it's right on you before How you know it. How many passed away? Um, a lot of them do. Uh, they have little food. They're sacked with like pneumonia, a number of unknown diseases, and several poisonings. God, these poor um, people. Yeah, they are struggling every way. Now, one desperate Sayadina in like hunger pains eats this plant. And maybe she oh. doesn't know exactly what it does. Why are you doing that? No. Again, hunger pain. Yeah. Well, yeah. She, yeah would, okay. she would eat some shoe leather at this All point right, if so. she could. And, and eat fine. Instantly. Oh, she is um, emerges into the voices in her head, and she can see oh. every one that has ever existed. What this line within her, right? All of the Sayadina before her are now That's, speaking to her at once. It's like it's like spice kind of stuff. It's right? yeah, it's very. It is. This is the. Um, we're gonna end up using spice to do the same effect. Spice is like stronger at this effect, but this plant is the first it's thing that does of it. Doing it, it makes sense that it's on a Benny Gesserit like sort of uh, ancestral world. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'd flip it and be like, I mean, the Bene Gesserit are there because, of, like, happened because of it. Oh! I guess I hadn't considered that idea. Like, it is what awoke them. So that's what, that's the reason behind the wild... Yes. ...sorceresses. Yeah. This plant. Yes. That's really that's, cool. Yeah, yeah. What's the name of the plant? I don't got a name for it. Ah! Done, done. It's, I think it's the last of history because we don't use it anymore. What's the name... You just chew on the plant? You it sounds the- like it. Yeah. And because we're going to mention that we actually, uh, let me keep going with this. Um, I, I, I don't have anything else I can okay, tell you yeah, about, fine, about the plant. Fine, fine. Beyond it's clearly poisonous. And so that Sayadina, she's like, uh, she's in a delirium and uh, she does die from this. Oh. In that moment. Like she dies from that right first. Right there. Right then uh, and there. Just that first dose. But so she's mumbling in this delirium. And we do have enough that we can uh, determine that uh, the other Zinsuni with her like took her account. And were able to have her like say what was happening and why. And basically record this all down, made this little log. And we're like, whoa, what the hell? And looked into it. And then they. Um, they're like, don't eat that plant. <laughs> well, they're like, we need to look into this. Like, you need to just not eat the whole thing. But like that plant awoke, did this effect. Mm-hmm. And that effect is dramatic. Like she was talking to her past. Um, and she is effectively the first reverend mother, especially for the Fremen. And so this is where I do get a little confused and why I didn't want to commit on, because uh, I, I got to look into the Bene Gesserit history again before I like line thought, these up. So, because yeah. immediately the encyclopedia drops in that they use Reverend Mother probably because the missionary protectiva would have um, put had an influence on them via the Panoplia Propheticus. That's, see, that's that what it was. Effect, that influenced this right. That's what I assumed. So I think the Bene Gesserit are already around or at least in a primitive form. 
because they had a few steps that they went through uh, before they got to Bene Gesserit status. Uh, and that I think this version of Reverend Mother is only talking about Fremen. Because the Fremen are going to use that title as well. This is all after Guild, so... Yes. The Bene Gesserit are already around, I think, by that point. I think Definitely. they are, too. So this is just, they happen to be on the planet where the Bene Gesserit sort of originated Started. Yep. from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost coincidental them getting this power. Like, okay. I think they are getting it in tandem of the Bene Gesserit. Gotcha. But just that Reverend Mother is sort of the term that the Bene Gesserit already planted in, so they use it. And we recognize her as the first one. Okay. Because she, like, broke it over. But not, like, a Bene Gesserit first river moment. Right. That was probably some sort of... That was actually that sorceress we know for a fact because they're part of the executive branch. Right. uh, Within the... the (laughs) Executive mothers. Yeah, executive mothers. Mater Executrix. 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 I believe. Oh, that was a stretch for me. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the entire Zensuni philosophy was immediately altered by this revelation because now Mike, they can hear directly from their ancestors. You're no longer relying on word of mouth or interpretations or something written down or just like an oral history. We can now look back. We know exactly what happened. We know exactly how that ritual was first done. We know why we did the ritual that way. All this meaning is no longer just transitory. It's like so definite and set in stone and can be reflected upon that. They never have to worry now about their history being lost. Because you think of, uh, especially when the, um, I mean, this didn't affect them, but the Sadokar purging the Sayadinas. That is so tragic. Because like I said, they were the only ones who had that migration story. That is a little piece of history that can easily become obsolete or forgotten. Mm. That is now like permanent and can't even be like obfuscated. So it's a mind bending power and no other organization save the Bene Gesserit has that ability. So their traditions and their histories are going to be maintained from now on. So once they knew they could uh, reasonably survive on Rossick, mm-hmm. like they sort of learned the ins and outs. They know we can get through one winter after another winter, like what you got to do to prepare and such. Right. They get together and they're like, hey, guys, we've been moved a few times. Maybe we should move before they move us. How's that sound? <laughs> Anybody on board? Um, you know, uh, I think if the Sadakar came again once, they're going to come again. So they're like, yeah, we, we got we to gotta do something. We can't just be sit mm-hmm. passively by anymore. So they work out a long-term plan, essentially. And they hesitantly, they start reaching out to their neighbors and these other communities. Those, uh, that native population that was here that right. initially was like, we don't got time for you. Right, right, right. And they are like, hey, we're busting ass here. If uh, you guys need help, because there were some farms around that weren't mm-hmm. as efficient as theirs. So they would hire out laborers and theirs and Sunni would go and work on their other farms and help those farmers out and raise up their efficiency. All the while, though, they're still doing their work on right. top of it. So they're, you're double timing. Right, right, right. Because they still need to be a self-sufficient. They're not asking for any help. Right. They're only offering help and then bringing back that little bit of uh, that Solari, that one mm-hmm. copper, whatever they're getting paid in. Oh, my God. They raise the funds to pay for the guild by yep. doing that. The older women offer medical Ooh. services. Uh, so, again, like I said, they're laboring on top of their work. How and many people are there at that point, too? Because, like, well, that's got to be expensive. Yeah. What do, so we moved 10 million. We divided it in half. So, optimistically, five. But, but a bunch of people died on this planet, right? Sure, sure. We had that first winter. Yeah. It was super hard. But then they also, you know, we've been repopulating. Because, again, we're moving a, another, we're going to jump forward some time here. We're going to mm-hmm. move another, like, thousand years. In, or I'm, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, another so thousand. we spend quite a bit of time here. Yeah, yeah, we're okay. we're in a Fremen long term plan. We're always in a long haul. We're not mm-hmm. moving my generation. Your grandkids <laughs> not moving, but like someone down the line is moving. Gotcha. And uh, it is until seventy one ninety three 
So we're yeah. like only 3,000 years away from the present at this right, point. Right, right. We're, no, we're not on Arrakis yet. Wow. So we're still on Rossick, and uh, they have just now squirreled away enough money that they just need to choose a destination. So, so they got to pick a planet that they don't have to worry about being invaded. Mm-hmm. That will people leave them alone? Yeah. Is it is it gonna be Arrakis? Ooh, it's uh, better one, yet. One like, planet away. Well, they're negotiating with a guild representative. Right. So this guy comes down. He's he's got like a, I assume a little portfolio, and yeah. he's showing you some planets. So, like this one has the undercoating. This one's really great. Like, <laughs> this one's got racing stripes. <laughs> yeah, it goes so fast around the sun. <laughs> and uh, the guild rep, though, he also tells him like, um, I have uh, one bit of information you might be interested in. We know where the other half of your people went. Oh. We know where the lost ones ended up. What planet they ended up on. I was going to ask because they moved too. Or they were kicked out by the Sardaukar, more or less. Well, nonetheless, the guild is the one who transported them. That's right. That's oh, more, that's more the point. Guildsman. Yeah, sneaky guildsmen. Because they know that's their middleman role. Like oh, They know where man. the Zensuni went. Oh. They can tell you everybody. They have the tickets. They have the stubs. And uh, they, they tell them, yeah, they... Uh, explain, you know, they went to this world, uh, Seleucus Secundus, and then they were moved. And they were moved to the two planets of Ischia and Harmanthep. And the guys are just like, done. Uh, we know exactly where we're going. Now, they rejoice because, you know, it's been generations of work and they finally completed it. But they also have a deep sorrow. The rate of travel is so high and exuberant. They all can't go. Oh, and no. this time they need to separate themselves. So they decide, and this probably was a really harsh decision, but uh, it's brutal necessity. This is how I think they would do it, that only the young are going to go. All the old are going to stay behind. Ooh. Yeah, that's tragic. And like, Mike, they're staying on Rossick. They can't survive another winter without the youth. It's so like... They are. They're, they're gonna die. There they're just staying. Much. That's it. That's the end of their line. But they know the Zen Sunni aren't done. Like they will complete the, you know, their Hajra. They're gonna answer the Sunna before the time's complete, and they're gonna go reunite with the lost ones. So I think like that's it, pretty big. A, a, it's a mix of emotions for sure. Yeah. But maybe the fact that they are making the decision, no matter what, at all points, must have been really satisfying too. Not being forced into this point. Quick. Oh man. So. No, I just uh, had a quick question. So yeah. I know uh, Brian Herbert does a lot of, he did some sequels and prequels, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't do a prequel that involves like the Zen Sunni and their trip. Ooh. Because that would be an amazing narrative. That would be. He I did, would be so down for that kind of book. He did that about Larry and Jihad and on, I think, I, no, no, that would have timeline that wouldn't line up. I don't think he did. I, because that, that but Larry and Jihad book takes us Granted, up to I, the end. And then uh, the other one was the house trilogy at the point when I had read it. Uh, that is only like a few years leading up to like right. our era, Eric King crisis. So granted, I don't know exactly what kind of author he is because I know a lot of people have mixed feelings, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like he's written in several books, so he's got to be doing something right. Right. No. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think I'd be right up his alley. I, like, I think that, that would be really interesting. A little, yeah. Is that I think you could have a lot of really powerful beats in that. Especially like uh, them. Oh, once they reunite, like having having like two characters that are like having like one broken family. Oh. One goes to Seleucus. One goes to oh uh, Bella Tegis, and then like that gets They're reunited like at the end. Hand. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. That that. Who I, do we have to talk to for this? I guess we're sitting down doing some fan fiction oh, at the end of this. I guess that'd be so good. So, Mike, I told you that they had two worlds mm-hmm. that they, uh, once they left um, Bella Tigis, right? The right. Sadakar showed up and they brought them. Right. Harmanthep and Ishia. Har- okay. Now, 
the encyclopedia never lets me down, Mike. Somebody is bound to half-ass something. <laughs> Harmon Thep is the one. Harmon Thep. I, just, I don't know why, but I want to say Harmontown. <laughs> yeah, I that. always think I go right to Dan Harmon, yeah. too. Uh, so Harmon Thep. Uh, it was a satellite of Delta Pavonis. Okay. Do you know why that's important? Delta Pavonis? Oh, Delta Pavonis. Pavonis. Delta. Uh, no. Is this a star I should know? It's a star we went to first. This is Caladan star. <gasps> yeah. What? So there was a world called. They went to the, the system that. Ah! Yep. But don't worry, Mike. Nothing is known. What? It, the planet was just destroyed somewhere in 6,800. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> what? You're right. Someone definitely half-assed it. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure the Atreides were on Kaladad in 5,500. Yeah. So, like, somebody had to have seen this happen. <laughs> a whole big explosion in the sky. <laughs> It'd be like if Mars was just gone tomorrow. And wow. all of the Zensuni on him. So all, we're assuming all the Zensuni on that planet just died. Yeah. because What? We, they definitely aren't alive. What? Got nothing. What's? I don't understand that. Got nothing. Oh, why? Oh. Yeah, why? Why, do, why would you even include that? I don't know. <laughs> just skip it. You think they had a deadline? I'm just like, just put it in print. <laughs> oh, I forgot that one. <laughs> it's destroyed. Yeah, just send them all to Ishia. Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Oh, no, my God. No idea. <laughs> all right, but next world, okay. Ishia. Oh. All right, Mike, so we're on the phone. These, these were all the young people, too, that, like, went to, like... No. No. Uh, the young people... Oh, are, these are the lost ones. The, yeah, these are the lost ones that were taken from Bella to Geese and split in half again. I, oh God. We are, uh, we're coming back from Rossick now with, and reuniting with the Lost Ones. So on our way to Ishia, we're with the guild and the guild are pretty chatty. And okay. they're like, oh, we'll tell you all about what happened to your buddies. Everything, they're kind of getting them all caught up on the history. Um, they do conveniently speak as little as possible about Seleucus Secundus. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, we're just not gonna really mention all the things going on there, and they like brush past it, and the Zensuni like get the feeling they're not telling them, but they have that Sayadina power. And they're just oh, sort of like, right. we'll find out soon. Don't worry. I'm just Ooh. like, we'll, we'll, we'd rather hear it from them, <laughs> kind of deal. Ooh. And they, yeah, they just let that go, and uh, so they get a. a so they a, just need to wait for one generation of them uh, combining again, right? Yeah, sort of, of like yeah. the next Sayadina that uh, we'll find uh, a few things about them, but the Sayadina can also transfer memories from one to another. What? Yeah. They can the Benny Gesserit do that? Yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh. I'm like 90% sure. It's like an intense. This book's turning from sci fi to magic fantasy. It is a fine line between the two. <laughs> and uh, as Arthur C. Clarke said, Mike, any sufficiently advanced technology should be indistinguishable from magic. If it's not technology, is it? You wouldn't it's a plant. You wouldn't know from your perspective. Of like, well, you're saying you're just seeing you're thinking magic of what they do. The plant is telling you it's a biochemical reaction. Oh my God. It's not a magic plant. It's I'm just a plant. I'm stressed, Derek. I'm stressed. Okay. okay. Well, let's de-stress, Mike. Let's talk about Ishia. All right. Tell do me you... about Ishia and how wonderful it is. Oh, it's a harsh desert world that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of the opposite of Rasek in a way. Oh. But it's no Arrakis. 
Uh, however, like if you don't, so the plants, you can grow plants in the open, okay. but they have to be carefully irrigated. And then like, if you don't tend to it for one day, it's going to be destroyed. Yeah. Like you, oh. you got to be watching it all the time. They are just getting the short end every time. So this one though is like necessary. This is like uh, this a little primer for Arrakis because on this oh, world, if they didn't learn everything they did from this world, they probably would have died on Arrakis. Exactly. It specifically says, like, the... Uh, so we kind of refer to these in Sunni by the planet they go on. So, like, the Poratrins in Sunni, the Belatigis and Trudes in Sunni. Okay. These are... We're going to call the Ishias and Sunni while the Rasik ones are coming to join them. Right, right, right. The Ishias and Sunni, specifically, they learn to live with the desert instead of struggling against it. Ooh. So we've already then also picked up how defensive they were, the ones that settled on... Um, Bella Tegis, you know, mm. they had the soft world. They built those defenses and they were always right. on edge. We have these ones learn to live with the desert. We have the Sadokara ones, you know, who've learned this harsh oppression and how to like um, kind of be battled and what it means to go soft in a way. So all these but schools then, of thought It's a religion are, that keeps them all together as well, though. Like if they were all to meet one right. another, they it's, wouldn't just be at odds like, oh, screw no, you. No, not at all. Like it's, they're, it's that religion that binds them as a community. And while they instantly recognize one each, one in each other as like we are in the same struggle. Now, uh, there is a weird bit, though, uh, at the end of the Zensuni or the uh, Ishia uh, article. It doesn't tell me how they pick them up and get to Arrakis. What? It just says the guildman tells them like, oh, oh, you're not going to Ishia. Ishia is just to prepare you for where you are going. You're going to Arrakis. So the guild, they must Why go. Why would they even bring them to? Oh, I got a reason. Okay. So we go to Ishia. We pick them all up because they needed to be united. That mm-hmm. was like, I think, part of the Zen Sunni uh, mandate, essentially. Then the guild takes them all. Every Zen Sunni in the universe. Because they were only in like four spots. And uh, okay. we bring them to the planet Arrakis. And this is by 7193. Okay. And... People are already on Arrakis, Mike. We're already mining spice. You know, that was 7,000. Yeah, well, because you've got the guild. Yeah, you guild, come on. we you... got Bene Gesserit. We have the Empire. Everything's going great. The Arakeen is a city. People live in Arakeen. Arakeen's that old. People That's are really doing... cool. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, so it, must, it might even be the governor's. It's the seat of the government, actually. Says. Right, so before Carthag was, like, established as the right, right. seat. Right, right. It's like what the, uh, the Harkonnens built. And, uh, Did they build Carthag? Oh, I didn't know that. They did build it as like a brassy That's kind of so place. so Harkonnen. Yes. <laughs> you wanted to say it. I did. <laughs> so there is actually a, um, a dual benefit for the uh, for dropping these guys off here. Okay. For the Zensuni, they are going to now be uh, too difficult for the Emperor to ever bother to root out, being a place so far in the desert of like in Arrakis's harsh work. Right. It's sort of the equivalent of them into the Sahara where they were on Earth, where they used to be in the corner where no one wanted to go. Right, right. Well, now we're in the universal scale corner of where no one wants to go. Uh, and then the guild makes sure they drop them off in the deepest part of the desert, and they do it as secretly as they can because they don't want anyone to know they're doing this. And for them, this is the other benefit. The guild has a permanent entree into the world forevermore, meaning that they can always find their entry point and a way to like get to the spice now. That's why they're bringing the Fremen here. The guild is setting the Fremen up to be spice miners. Oh. The guild is putting them there to be paid off for it. This is the guild's part this of the, the plan. the guild's plan. Yeah. So they wanted to make sure the Zensuni would be there and that they would have a native population that was always grateful to them. The same way Leto wants a grateful native population. Oh. And so that's also their way to bypass Arakeen, bypass the Imperium, and get their hands on what they want. 
So now, does Sunsuni... So the Fremen are pivotal to the guild and what they want. Yeah. They're like partners to an extent. Way more than I think I... I thought the... Like, I, I, maybe I didn't, I didn't even ask what your perception of like how long the Fremen had been there, but I thought the air, they were buying the guild off. I, no, They're sort of like paying I, the guild back. Uh, yeah. That's such a different perspective I would have never thought about. Yeah, they've only been here for like 3,000 years, slowly paying off the guild, and then it's only in the past, um, since Pardot Kinds, mm-hmm. that they started this sort of uh, environmental kick that they're on, that we're going to like slowly kind of learn about in this book. Oh my gosh. So, so but and, they bring, they start to bring all of the uh, different uh, Zensunis So, together. like I said, there was only the Ishia and the Rossex Zensuni left, because following that trail, those are the two worlds we ended up on. The Harmon Theps are gone, they were kicked off Seleucus the Belategis went to Rossex. Rossic goes to Ishia, picks them up with the guild. We all go to Arrakis. At this point, all Zensuni are on Arrakis in the deep desert. The Zensuni recognize they are now more than just a religious sect. They are a people. They are Fremen. And that is where my Zensuni wanderer history ends. In the deep desert of Arrakis. Whoa. Was that fun? That was so good. That that's just our primer, Mike. We have a, any, oh man! So keep that. That is what shaped Mapes and Mapes. So Mapes was in line to be a Sayatina. Oh, that was, right. But that, she was so good at being Double O Mapes. Double that, O Mapes. Yeah, oh. can't stop that girl. <laughs> Get it, girl. She likes her water shaking, not stirred. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mapes, I love it. Wow, that is so good. It was a little slow to start, but like, oh. All good things in Dunar. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, no, I, I like it. It picks up once you get to Salusa, it goes I wild. really want a story about that all now. Like, mm. in depth, more than the encyclopedia, I guess. Right, right. I want, I want a personal yeah. kind of anecdote or personal eyes through it. Uh, wow. Sort of like pass down tales. That was really good. I like that a lot. <sighs> Thank you. I'm glad you fit it in here somewhere, too, before we got like two... Uh, too into the Fremen, like having a yeah. little bit of a preface like I said, to I want you nice. a little primer. I want you to, I like to appreciate and the Fremen when we get to that. It does explain, too, like, in part, not just because Arrakis is a harsh world, but also the fact that, like, they've had encounters with Sardaukar before within their history as a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They've been, of, like, kind of hounded by it. They sort of, like, yeah. might even be, like, boogeymen to them. Like, they, they sort of raise the bar of, like, survival is here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. anything below that does not matter. <laughs> so, I, oh, that is really cool. I like that a lot. Oh, I still want to see a Fremen fight a Sardaukar. I know, I know. Ah! We'll have to wait and see. Have to wait and see. There's so many encounters we didn't get with the Baron, so. Are they, do you think they're a one for one? Like, one Sardaukar could, like, equally fight one Fremen? No, oh, Mike, I can't or answer like... anything like that. <laughs> Damn it. Come on. I was wondering. Yeah, no, you, you will see Sardaukar fight Fremen. I'll give yeah? you that. So, okay. like, let's wait and, like, right, I'll let them right, show right. you. All right. Uh, oh, I hear seagulls outside. <laughs> Does that mean something? Is that the, yeah. new, is that the new call sign, Mike? <laughs> What yeah. kind of game do you have up your sleeve? Well, we've stopped the glossary done. game. The glossary right? game's done. No glossary game. Ooh, but uh, I'm a little relieved. It's it's more like uh, our own little Hajj now, going from <laughs> world to world. Or was it Hajra? They were denied the Hajra. Oh, so again, I had to flip that on you. Specifically, they didn't get to do that. <laughs> right. They were, and uh, then specifically, they were never Sodokar because they refused to be Sodokar. The two points you had well, made for that. We won't remove from glossary game to the new game. The new game's gonna be the Gurney game. <laughs> More same, specifically, same intro, new game. <laughs> yeah, same intro, new game. 
What more is the Gurney game? More specifically, it's going to be called Gurney, Gurney, or Gurney. <laughs> gurney, Gurney, or Gurney. What? <laughs> so, gonna, so is the safe bet always Gurney? Well, let me. All right. Well, oh, yeah, safe bet's always Gurney. <laughs> but let me. All right. Let me get a die real quick. Okay. Okay. Is okay, so. this game has tools now? We have accessories. Okay. So what what do you do with this D six? So I got D six, uh-huh. and only because I don't have a D three. I've got three gurneys here. Got quotes from each of them, and uh, I'm going to roll this dice to decide which gurney I'm going to give you a quote from. You have to guess which gurney. What do you said What it. do you mean by three gurneys? Oh, you, you you don't know three gurneys? I do not know three gurneys. All right. Well, do you know one gurney? I got Gurney Halleck. Gurney Halleck. Pretty is strong one of them. with Gurney Halleck. Gurney Halleck, the uh, troubadour warrior. Of House Atreides, there's James Gurney. I don't know a James Gurney. James Gurney is. is an author most known for writing Dinotopia. Did you ever read Dinotopia? <laughs> no. That book was sick. What is Dinotopia? Oh, it's like the this uh, this family ends up uh, like in this like uh, shipwreck uh-huh. or a plane crash. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they end up in this weird island and world, and there's dinosaurs, but they live and exist with humans, and some of them can talk. <laughs> is it, wait. Oh. Okay, is I'm thinking of that like uh, that live action show that used to be. I think it's just called Dinosaurs. You know the baby that used to hit the dad with a No, it's not that one. No, it's no, not no okay, okay. That's the guy talking to him. Actually, I think they did do a um, like a, a short uh, a short TV adaptation of it. All right, and the, is it sort of gimmicky like Land of the Lost then? Because that was always like they drive. Not like, I think not they fall quite like into Land a crater. Of the, not quite Land of the Lost. It, I think it was a little gimmicky, but it is action, actual civilization. Okay. With like, it's not like Fred Flintstone or anything. I know it's, it can only be described as Dinotopia. Dinotopia. Okay. Like they've got wind riders. It was like pterodons and like, it's almost like their what, cavalry. When was it written? What are we talking about? Was oh, it like our this was, I think this 80s was. 80s or what? No, I think this was the 90s. Hang on a second. Okay. okay. Give me a quick second here. Oh, of course. Uh, oh, the movie. <gasps> That's it was, Dinotopia. It was uh, it was early '90s, so it was uh, 1992 was when the first book appeared. And uh, oh, so it was two of them. It was a land apart from time, and then the world beneath. They both won Hugo Awards, both for original artwork. Okay, Mike. Yeah. Do you know there was a movie made for this? Yeah, I told I you that. that. Oh, okay. Do you know who was in the movie? I do know. I, I just brought up the movie poster, and I got three headliners that I did not ever think were all three in the same movie. I, you know, it's been so long since I've seen it. I did see it on TV, but who's in it? Okay, this is gonna be it's gonna be a weird stretch of people. Okay, because um, I believe uh, we're gonna start with Alyssa Milano. So I believe she was from Charmed, right? Oh, I don't. Remember. I think she's one of the sisters in Charmed. I didn't watch a lot. Of Michael Charmed. Clark Duncan. So that's like Green Mile, and then Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> I forgot about you. <laughs> Do you ever see that thing where he's drunk at E3? No. <laughs> He gave, he, gave a complete, he gave a complete presentation, just hammer drunk. Wow. It's a great thing it's still on YouTube. He's very embarrassed but, by it. But he, all three of them were Dinotopia, the movie, Quest for the Ruby Sunstone, Hallmark Entertainment. <laughs> but yeah, no, like, this is what I mean. I mean just, I'm showing him a picture of the first Dinotopia cover. I actually had that book. It was huge. It was like one foot by one foot, and you would open it up. Ooh, that's it was cool. It was really cool. And like, some of it had like cursive, like little side notes on it. It was, it was an adventure. To say the least, but so that's our uh, author. Yes, in- that's our second gurney. Sorry, we got to get to that's the third gurney. That's our author and illustrator, James Gurney. James Gurney, author, illustrator. But uh, gurney number three, do you have any ideas? No, no, Mike. I know one gurney. <laughs> All right, I know so one. This gurney. is going to be Sir William Gurney Benham. <laughs> that would not have been my guess. <laughs> Sir Will William Benny William Sir, Benny Gurnham? Sir William Gurney Benham. Oh, oh, so Gurney was his middle name. Gurney was his middle name. Okay. Oh, that's still hey. So he's what? still a Gurney. I so just think a, he gur- should be the second Gurney in the list. You think so? So we, we got whoa, Gurney. Gurney first, Gurney middle, Gurney, Gurney last. last. Yeah. All right. All right. So we there's got, a there's a strong Gurney progression. Gurney Halleck, 
Sir William Gurney Benham and James Gurney. I do like that he loved his middle name enough to be like, it's a three-name kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was an English editor in between 1860 and 1944. Uh, he could have edited Dinotopia. If only the times were lined up. Yeah, like 60 years later. Yeah, if you just grabbed this for a Gurney to edit for a Gurney, so we could publish. <laughs> just want Gurney on Gurney on Gurney. <laughs> Some Gurney, okay. Gurney, Gurney. So you have between three from- Gurneys. <laughs> All right, so how is the Dinotopia guy going to match? The, I can totally see how Sir Gurney is going to sound like our Gurney because okay. our Gurney is a little archaic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get how Dinotopia is going to wrap up. It might this. be a stretch, admittedly. Sorry. When you say, and the T Rex, <laughs> 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 there might be some context clues. There might be a little bit, okay. <laughs> but I'm excited for some Gurney, Gurney, Gurney. All right. James Gurney, what's, and I'm going to say Sir Gurney might be all I remember for that guy then. James Gurney, Sir Gurney, and Gurney Howard. <laughs> sure. Because I don't remember, I already, Thomas Benning Gurney? Gurney, Sir Gurney Will- Benham? Sir William Gurney Benham. Okay, so Billy Gurnham Benham. <laughs> don't call him Billy. I'm going to call He's him. He's a knight. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> all right, so, and uh, we're going to do one of these per per episode. Okay. Just because I don't want to run out of quotes. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll this dice to figure out which gurney I'm going to do because I don't want you to think I'm doing a pattern or anything. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Because, you know, I do two gurneys and be like, oh, third gurney is going to be next, right? <laughs> so uh, I've got a cup, I've got a list and it's gonna, I'm going to be writing what it down. What if I do this statistically? I'm just going to always answer B. <laughs> I'm going to pass this right. SAT. He rolled. All right. Oh, a little Hand. smirk. Hand, hands, like a dinotopia kind of smirk, but sure. we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, second. All right. Survival of all or none. One raindrop raises the sea. Weapons are enemies, even to their owners. Okay. Now, I do want to preface, I'm using all the Dune books, because I know there's some prequels. Oh, so you're including Brian? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I also know that you're less familiar with those ones. No, no, but even uh, beyond that, like, so you're having a different author sort of speak for him. So that's going to entirely change the character, Mm -hmm. even if you don't intentionally mean to do that. Right, right, right. Because, like, like you just, it's just not the same mindset when you're writing a character. Not the same source material in your head for whatever Frank based on your original character. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's almost like your impersonation of that character. Um, Okay. Good touch. That to me does so read it to me one more time. Survival of all or none. One raindrop raises the sea. Weapons are enemies even to their owners. Okay. Damn it. I'm gonna So mm, Gurney Gurney or Gurney. Races. <laughs> Dinotopia! <laughs> I kinda see the weapon part for that. Um I can see a dinosaur explain it. You said it was a, but you said it was I can see a, a stern side chair. No, T-Rex. <laughs> Weapons are dangerous even to ourselves. Um, but okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Dinotopia out. Okay. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna side all that one. It's too, I think, um, judding from sentence to sentence. There isn't enough cohesion for me to think yeah, that. There are, I mean, those are three separate sentences sure. to let you know. Right. Uh but you didn't edit anything out, nope. right? Okay, so I don't think that has the right flow for Gurney Halleck. So I don't think it is a like a Bible quote kind of thing, right, which right, is always right. what I'm basing Gurney on. But he Brian, say, Brian's <clears throat> going to throw that out the window, though, a little no, bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if he basically all only speaks <laughs> King's Jane Bible. <laughs> so I'm going to go my first attempt at Gurney, 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 and I'm going to go with Gurney. Oh. Oh, you want more? <laughs> oh, oh, a little more. Uh, Benny Gurney Bennington. <laughs> Billy, Billy Gurney <laughs> Benham. Sir William Gurney Benham. <laughs> Sir Billy Gurney Benham. <laughs> Finish your line. <laughs> um, 
straight out of the pages. Final answer. Of uh, 1992, A Land Apart from Time (laughs) by James Gurney. Survival of all or none. One raindrop raises the sea. Weapons are enemies, even to their owners. What Do you have contact? Who said it? Is it a dinosaur? There's more, but I'm actually going to use other parts of that. Okay, but is it a dinosaur saying it? I don't actually know. Because you laughed when I said I could picture a dinosaur saying it myself. (laughs) I expect you, before we come back next time, to tell me if that was a dinosaur. Well, but I'm going to be ordering a copy of this book now, apparently. just like <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get it. It's for research. <laughs> You're one foot by one foot picture. I used book. to own this book, too. I don't even know what happened to it. That's cool. We'll be able to get it for this job. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> like, that wasn't that bad. That was pretty good. <laughs> I like you, you think you can get behind this game? I can, oh, yeah, I'm for it. Yeah. I'm for it. <laughs> so, Gurney, Gurney, you're Gurney. <laughs> if I can get... I need name cards. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you I need. Little, I need one name I'll card. Get you a, <laughs> William Gurney James Gurney Gurney Halleck Ribbiter Gurney I've said it so many times Billy Gurney Benham <laughs> Oh my word Well I think I think that does it for the week Yeah Mike. <laughs> You think Really yeah. If you guys uh, If you have any questions If you know a wine That we could afford Let us know We're on Instagram And Twitter At Spice World Pod Or you guys can always Reach us by email At SpiceWorldPod At gmail.com And Mike I always love to stop At this point Because it reminds me Wait, wait, but, but before you do, oh, I gotta say, in the face. we also have a website at SpiceRealPod.com because I always mess it up when you interrupt this flow and part of the show. I was hoping your Patreon would get combined in again. <laughs> no. You're right, SpiceRealPod.com. SpiceRealPod.com. Uh, we got an email from Mark M. And uh, this one was really great. And Mark, I kind of let the cat out of the bag, even though you specifically told me not to. And it says, like, for Derek's eyes only. And I read through this once, and I was like... I don't know what he means. <laughs> I didn't catch it. Because uh, the comic, he wrote He drew us a comic. Oh, that's right. There, there was a comic. Uh, he did an illustration of, uh, I believe, one of our last glossary games. Uh, and it was great. It ends with, like, uh, the Pikachu. And uh, it was when Piter passed away, Mike. It was your dead puppy line. <gasps> oh, that's right. And uh, Cancer puppy. I'm sorry. Uh, so, Mark, in your thing, you did specifically, I hope you find it worthy of Mike's attention on the show. And I sort of passed by that thinking you just wanted us to talk about it. Mike pointed out afterwards that you probably meant his live reaction to it, which would have been way more endearing to see. Uh, but I was just too giddy. Uh, I went around, I showed everyone at work this picture. Uh, David, who was our final editor, I made right. sure to show him. Because uh, he too cracked up at the cancer puppy thing. I was like, so that was your best intro to the glossary game. It was pretty good. Uh, but the comic is so funny. So we're going to post that on our Instagram. Yeah. And uh, we totally entertain Mark, if you want to send us any more, those are an absolute <laughs> delight. Awesome. And we get the perfect shocked Pikachu. Yeah, you finally get to see what it looks I, like. That was, to be fair, my first shocked Pikachu meme, I think, was uh, Mark's interpretation via <laughs> hey. pencil. Uh, Bad wine discipline. I love that. <laughs> yeah, the wine spilt on the floor in the corner. <laughs> so it's great. Uh, and I really appreciate that. I'm I think when I yell the glossary game, I am like uppercutting you. And that's how I always feel when I say it, too. So spot on, Mark. <laughs> and that's usually how I feel by the end. <laughs> so I'm like, X What happened? And that range of emotions it's, that we go through to get there. It's so good. I love it. So we really appreciate that. If you guys, uh, oh, I mean, you know, we've invited wine recommendations. We want your tasting notes. If you guys have any art you want to send in that we can post for you, mm-hmm. Dune, a Dune related, preferably, mm-hmm. uh, we'll gladly put it up. We've got uh, a couple wines down the line. Some people have been sending some pictures in for us to look yeah, at. So sorry, we we're go. penciling those in. We're trying to hunt them down is the big thing. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's the only catch. Yeah, but we'll get them. We'll get them. Yeah, we can find anything we need to. Mm-hmm. Now, when we come back uh, next week, we're still going to be out in the desert. 
We got some uh, stuff to deal with. I got a little teaser line for you to get things ready. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I am Thufir Hawat, <gasps> he said. I can speak for my duke. I will make promissory commitment now for your help. I wish a limited form of help, preserving my force long enough only to kill a traitor who thinks herself beyond vengeance. Oh my god. Dun, dun. Wait, one. does he know that Leto's dead? He, ooh. The word might oh be getting god. around Is the Fremen spies. He's starting an actual witch hunt. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna put on a little inquisitor cap. And... Does he really think he could do anything, though? He's seen firsthand. Does, do, to what? To, to Jessica? take down Lady Jessica. Ooh. I think he's willing to try. Well, I guess with the Duke gone, what's the point in not trying? He has to. I guess you're right. Yeah. Uh, and I think oh more man, but Thufir's alive. Thufir's alive. Unless wait, who's he talking to? Ah, uh, I didn't say. Zarek. <laughs> no, it's so weird, Mike. That you'll have to come back next week for. Oh, yeah. You got to leave me on a little point of intrigue, Mike. You're gonna give oh me gurney, gurney, God. gurney. I'm not gonna tell you. He might be talking to a gurney, Mike. He That's what he's talking gurney. to. You figure out who. <laughs> but I think uh, until then, tried and true, the, the spice, spice must flow. I wore a unitard to prom. Did you really? Yeah. What? Irene was my date. She wore a unitard too. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, I had to put, sh- we had both had to put shorts on. Uh, <laughs> genitals fully exposed. <laughs> um, she tied it hers. So then I, mine was all white and uh, I didn't know she was going to tie dye hers. I was like, what the fuck? So I bought three markers, put them on my sleeve. Everybody signed me head to toe uh, uh. from the thing. Uh, and then I put, bought a banana and I put a banana in the uh, <laughs> oh, unitard. No. This is good times. And then I ate the banana. Uh, you peel the skin off, right? Yeah. <laughs> it all made sense. I was like, what else am I going to do uh, with this now? I found, I found my dead drop. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> People now know I have a giant scar on my side, and you can see my balls at prom. <laughs> <laughs>